Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Day. We're back, everybody. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. It's Star, Star Trek. Trek week. Yeah, it's a yeah. Star Trek week. We ain't done this in, in um, just the one week missed, but it feels like a brand new experience. It feels like my very first time. Yeah, we're pretty consistent with this task we use to punish ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it does. And it feels like... I don't remember... Like the only reason I can remember anything about these episodes is I'm looking at Ben's notes right now. Feels That's like, what's in front of me. Feels like I'm about to get fucked by Star Trek for the very first time. Cool. I feel like that well, that could be a really good song. I'm gonna work on it. You should. Um. Boo. What <laughs> What rhymes with? What Star Trek thing rhymes with uh, Virgin? Uh, Rogan. Was um. <laughs> Not erosion. <laughs> it's pretty close. It's pretty I could good. I could definitely work it in there. I could oh, I'm gonna put work it in there too. Alright. Oh. A lot happened. I've already got so many notes that we just started. It's week eighty three. Yes it is. That's pretty good. What's eighty three times two? One sixty six? Mm-hmm. We're almost We're getting so close to the halfway point. Yeah. I mean But we're almost two thirds of the way through the episode, so we just gotta really get through these these sad bad enterprises and <laughs> drop down to the big three, even though one sem- of those is seventeen either. seventeen or eighteen of these to go. So. Sorry, that's bad. <laughs> oh, you know how this works, everybody. Uh, last week's last place episode was Hunters, uh, so we're watching Voyager first, and this week to go with that, we're watching Prey. Hmm. I was really looking forward to Son of the King. <laughs> that makes me upset. Here's here's the problem. I couldn't decide whether I was going to do Son of the King or Have You Seen Her. <laughs> yeah, this or, very straight cover of The Shy Lights, Have You Seen Her? This extremely straight cover of uh, Have You Seen Her or anything else from that the last MC Hammer record before Police Hammer Don't Hurt Him. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and so you so just, just went panicked. off the board. I just panicked and played uh, Caravan Breakers, They Prey on the Weak and the Old by Frog Eyes. All right, fine. If you want to make it, like, applicable, if you want to make it relate, I guess that's It has the word prey in it. Yeah. All right, fuck, let's do it. I haven't talked about Voyager in a while. I can probably handle it. Um, To Herogen. Herogen? What are we calling these guys? Herogen. Uh, Different people say different things, so go nuts with it. They're doing a cool hunt. And although I recognize the ship they were chasing, I guess it's supposed to be a real shock when you see that they're hunting uh, one of them species 8472s. Yeah, 
I did think it was a minor species from Babylon 5 that had escaped into the universe. I mean, isn't that what they are? I think they might but be. But it, it did turn out to be Species 8472. They might actually be a, a JMS property. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> uh, the CGI actually seems worse this time. How, how come they don't have a weird, sad voice then? <laughs> Will you come with us? That's what it would have sounded like if it was a JMS show. They would not follow you if you were dead. <laughs> Um, anyway, they shoot this guy like 600 times after they track him down, and uh, it goes down in a pile. Tony Todd celebrates. Credits. Uh, the doctor is teaching Seven about bedside manner, including some real outdated pat-the-nurse-on-the-ass stuff that we should have known better about in the 90s, but probably didn't and still don't. Yeah, we had reached exactly the point. Well, I mean, it seems like you could put this scene in any sexual harassment training that I've had to do in the last 15 years. Yep. I got I got to do one every year. It's always this. Um, but I guess we had reached the exact point where it was kind of funny that he was outdated. Mm-hmm. And not like, that's gross. He's gross. Yep, but we are definitely there now. Uh, Voyager finds a limping Herogen vessel, and Janeway wants to beam over there. Seven says, hey, think about it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, she says to blow it up, which is a bit much, but I still appreciated the objection. Uh, anyway, uh, Janeway tells her to eat butt and sends an away team. They find a dead Herogen and a wounded Herogen. Uh, Chaco gives Janeway a breakdown about the Herogen, like a real exposition download. After they beam back with the uh, the wounded one, that's Tony Todd. Yeah, yeah. They took a minute while they were there and stole a bunch of stuff out of their computers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he now, tells so now her, they know that these guys have no culture and no home planet. They're they, basically trash. They travel around. Trash. They hunt things sometimes together, sometimes separate. Whatever. Uh, Janeway takes a victory lap right in Seven's face, which is very cool and mature. Um. <laughs> And now they have some cool information for the Delta Quadrant wiki they're making, so the risk was worth it, I guess. Janeway goes to chat with uh, T. Todd. He agrees to be treated by the Doctor eventually. Meanwhile, six more Herogen ships are on the way. Double meanwhile, they start seeing <laughs> random hull ruptures all over the ship. Tuvok and Harry go to investigate, and they find some of that good old 8472 goo. Did you have bad CGI blindness so that you couldn't see the very intentional shot of the creature crawling on Voyager's hull? Or did you just choose not to mention it? I was probably just looking away from the screen. <laughs> that happens a lot. I had a really good thing to write in these notes. I wasn't looking. Um, anyway, they find some of the 8472 goo, so they go into commando mode. And Janeway even goes down to do a cool hunt on deck 11. Uh, Belana is giving us a very long fucking techno babble, so you know she's going to be interrupted by something. In this case, the CGI <laughs> guy leaps down on top of her from the warp core and, uh, I guess knocks her and a few other dudes out. Janeway wants Seven to incapacitate the alien, and, uh, Seven disagrees because of the extra time it's going to take to modify the weapons, and meanwhile this thing will just keep doing damage on the ship. Uh, the creature... Yeah. Seven, by the way, has absolutely no say in this, despite the fact that it's her blood they're going to use as a weapon. Oh, the whole time they're telling her, hey, we need some more of those nanoprobes out of you. Go give them up. 
like well, score I don't know, them do you have to do doctors. to make more of them? Do you have to just like tense up or something? <laughs> but make but make them. <laughs> Go make some. Score them into a petri dish for the doctor or whatever. I know they keep you alive, but we need like lots of them. Um, the creature, as Tuvok calls it, knocks out environmental <clears throat> and gravity controls on whatever deck it's on now. So now they have to do a fight in the the same spacesuits as the ones in Star Trek: First Contact. Yeah. I don't I was, know if you uh, looked I'm disappointed into it. to learn that that's what those were. I was gonna because say, when I, I saw them on screen, I was like, oh, these are crappy spacesuits. <laughs> like, there's a speaker grill below the helmet, and it's drilled real haphazard. Like, some intern just literally just took a hand drill and was like, I don't know. I don't know how many holes are in a speaker grill. A bunch of them? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'll just keep doing it until you tell me to stop. Yeah, I didn't look it up, but I as soon as I saw them, I recognized them because Marjan and I watched First Contact like a month ago, and I was like, ah, they are just trying to have a cool scene like they had in that Borg movie everybody seemed to enjoy. Yeah, and they made three of them for First Contact, so you will never see more than three people in spacesuits in this episode of Voyager. That's right. They weren't making a fourth one. Oh hell no, no no no. Those were they found those in the back somewhere. Also, they don't make a new plastic ship model when they have a new alien. They're not making a new spacesuit. Uh, also, the Herogen is let out. He's going to hunt 8472 alongside Chaco and TP. That's their cool team. Uh, another team is best friends Tuvok and Seven. Uh-huh. She's a bit jumpy, I guess indicating a fear of 8472 that uh, stuck with her post-collective. Uh, Chaco's team finds the CGI guy and the Herogen disobeys orders and shoots the shit out of it. And he also batters Chaco and shoots TP. But Tuvok and Seven show up and they shoot T-Todd before he can finish the job. Tuvok gets uh, an exposition download from the CGI guy who's dying and wants to go home to the wet zone, I think he calls it. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it would be Splash Zone, but it did seem to be Wet Zone. It was the Wet Zone, and um, it's all a telepathic link with two Vulcans. You know, Vulcans, their powers are mysterious. Uh, Janeway agrees to open a Singularity and send it home. This is another one of those things that she can't do, but she needs Seven to do for her. Uh huh. Anyway, she tells Teton she's sending it home, and he says, "Well, that's bad news for Voyager because me and my buddies are going to pummel you now." Um. Janeway goes to ask Seven to make a singularity because, again, she's the only one that knows how, which is interesting. Well, listen, you've never worked in software, so you don't know this, but no one ever writes down what they do. <laughs> documentation is a huge problem, and you could, it's everyone's goal constantly every quarter is improve documentation. And that is always the last thing that happens. And it never gets any better, and then that person leaves the company, and then no one knows how to do the thing they were doing. Yep. And uh, that's what happened here. Janeway did not make Seven write down how to open a singularity. I mean, it sort of makes sense. I guess they figured they probably weren't going to want to go to the wet zone at any point. So, yeah, they like, might have figured this would never come up again because they left the wet zone behind 10,000 light years ago. Anyway, this guy's here again. Yeah. Uh, Janeway does a, like, a really bad job explaining why... Um, when Seven doesn't want to do this. Why uh, compassion is good? Just saying over and over again that it's very human. Um, <laughs> Seven says no. Like a real firm no this time. Uh, Janeway doesn't like her attitude and grounds her. 
The Herojin do uh, commence their attack on Voyager. They demand the return of their prey and T-Todd. The CGI guy wakes up, though, and he seems really mad. Uh, Janeway orders Seven to go dose it with more nanoprobes. They briefly lose force fields, um, and despite two security guards standing in sickbay with phasers pointed at the Herojin, he somehow escapes. <laughs> well, I imagine that the force fields went down and both of the guys went, what? And started <laughs> looking around. around. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Another guy probably just clotheslined both of them at the same time. Um, T-Todd confronts Seven when he comes to kill the CGI guy. Uh, the force field there drops too, so that 8472 starts to go ham on T-Todd. Seven beams them both over to one of the attacking ships. I guess either through their shields or maybe they just have cool armor and no shields. I don't know. This saves don't Voyager. Don't worry about it. <laughs> this, this saves Voyager, but surely dooms the CGI guy, and it definitely pisses Janeway off. Uh, Voyager is too damaged to pursue, so they're done with this business. Um, Janeway puts Seven under house arrest, basically. Seven says, hey, I thought I was an individual. I made my own choice. And Janeway says, I changed my mind. I'm an individual and everybody else does what I tell them. You just got jammed. <laughs> and that's the episode. <laughs> what, um... Uh, we always spend an hour talking about Voyager, so we can just get into it. What was this one about? Yeah, um... I'm... Listen... I think that the message of the episode is probably you'll never regret making the moral choice mm -hmm. because all the stuff at the end about the limits of individuality is even less fleshed out. Than oh, that. yeah. So. Well, Jamie doesn't even give an explanation in the end. She just goes, nah, but not, but not a hundred percent though. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's it. That's all you get. Um, it's a little bit undercut by the fact that it really doesn't seem like Janeway had a plan for dealing with the Herogen, so... Like, her moral choice seemed like it was going to get everybody killed, probably. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, it's not clear. I like, guess... if they weren't dealing with the 8472, would they have been able to focus on the Herogen and get away? No one knows. I guess that's it. Do the right thing. Um, <laughs> I'll give it a five. Okay. I mean, Voyager has had worse takes than that, for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. What did Ben say? I, I I had to do a thing and I lost his notes. Here we go. Uh, Ben said, individuality individuality has its limits. I guess I think that the Janeway version would be respect for others' individuality. Individuality has limits. He gave it a three. Well, what about you? Mm, Self sacrifice and compassion are moral imperatives. Janeway just says they make you human, but I think she means that they're, like, morally correct and not doing them makes you shitty. Uh, she does not back this up, but I think that's what we're doing here. Uh, I give it a six. I thought that was fine. Are we... I mean, we're talking about... We're already into execution here, but... Are we doing another The Enemy? Where... Um. But, like, another, as usual, much worse version where everyone's yeah. real disappointed in Worf. Yep. Well, I don't know, because we don't really spend a lot of... We spend a lot of time with Worf in that episode. Yeah. The stuff where Seven doesn't want to obey, we don't get, like, a ten-minute wrap-up on that or anything. We just get, like, she says no, and she gets grounded, and then, like, there's a lot of shooting, and then the episode kind of ends. 
So I don't I don't know whether they wanted us to focus on the individual choice that Seven made as much as mm, the stuff that Janeway said and didn't back up. I don't know. Well, what did you give it for execution? Uh, well, like I said, Janeway makes no real case, unfortunately. Um, so that's... Oh, that. But she tells a story about how they took the time out in a battle they were essentially guaranteed to win against the Cardassians <laughs> to help one Cardassian, and she's never regretted it. <laughs> yes. And why would she? There were no consequences. Right. That is what she says. Um, just in other stuff, they obviously meant to evoke the imagery of Star Trek First Contact in that encounter suit scene, because that film was fairly successful, but it's such a cheesy tactic, and that movie is action schlock, so I wasn't excited to see those. Uh, what are you talking about? He replicates a Tommy gun, turns off the <laughs> safeties in the holodeck, and angrily machine guns a bunch of Borg and to screams. the point that a woman who just survived <laughs> World War Three is like, you've lost it, man. Now fucking calm down. I think, I think we could all just calm down now. Yeah, he screams like an insane person. I live in Montana with racists and I probably fuck, fuck that drunk guy. But this is too much. Um... Hey, can the CGI get worse? <laughs> Apparently, it can and will as Voyager continues. They were happy to go back to the same shop that had did that had done uh, Species Eight Four Seven Two before. It's it was worse this time. It was like even worse. Like this wasn't the big Eight Four Seven Two episode, so they went. We don't really need it to be that good. <laughs> yeah, give us like seventy five percent of the last one, and we'll be okay. Um. Normally, I don't like it when the battle lines are drawn among the main characters in Star Trek, because you want the people you hang out with each week to all be cool and all have the good opinions. Yeah. Unfortunately, Janeway is so awful uh, at all times that it's nice. That you nice. always root for seven? Yes. <laughs> you're always like, she's got a point. It's nice to see somebody tell her to eat a dick. Even if seven wasn't necessarily right this time and was just kind of looking to get out of this whole situation. The character of Catherine Janeway is so awful, and I actively root against her. She's like um, Prince Joffrey from Game of Thrones, or um, Gaius Baltar from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> sure. Like, just I want all bad things to happen to her. Uh, it was a four for me. It's a four for Ben. Uh, that asteroid has an atmosphere... Yeah. 8472 it's seems unmotivated. Why destroy the Herogen vessel after subduing the Hunters? Why do the same for Voyager? And then he says, fuck this expansionist species, 8472. He didn't like those guys, but didn't we learn that the Borg invaded their space? Doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. uh, you're a four, Ben's a four, I'm a four. Okay. <clears throat> we're, uh, we're all talking the same language here. How do these people, the Herogen, with no centralized planet, who live as nomadic hunters get ships and weapons. Yeah. Who is mining duranium ore? Who is making breathing masks and comically oversized guns? <laughs> yep. Yeah, How why do they all have guys... the same gear and same ships? Yep. How did these guys ever get to space? <laughs> did their culture devolve into this hunting at some point after they got to space? Like uh, the Klingon warrior culture ascending in the 2100s? So you're saying that um, Chaco's exposition download wasn't complete. Yeah, all of these interesting questions are not even asked. 
Yeah, and it is a version of the Klingons, for sure. Like, I always wonder that about the Klingons. They must have these weapons manufacturers that every house goes to for their own private little militaries or whatever. There's, there's like, one... There's one company that's been making that bird of prey design for 300 years. Yeah. It's just Klingon Raytheon or something. Your business is good, man. Yeah. They're, they're excited. Every time there's a new civil and war, they, they're like, great. Boy, they must be looked at. Gowron, Quark tried to show Gowron a, a spreadsheet and he puked in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. So this, this company must not be well regarded, but everyone needs those ships, huh? That's right. Yep. Anyway, um, as far as Seven refusing to help send the uh, the Undyne home, her reasons are better than Worf's at Galorn and Kor, and the episode is much worse. Yeah. And uh, Janeway's faith in diplomacy is pretty strong for someone who hasn't had a diplomatic win in four years. Yep. <laughs> and I'm starting to think that she doesn't realize that she no longer represents the main power of a whole galactic region, yeah. and that you can't have diplomacy from one <laughs> ship. You never have anything to offer. Yeah. I mean, unless you're dealing with those weird pirates from a few weeks ago and Chaco just let them keep all the weapons. Hey, you guys want to be allies? There's there's nothing in it for you. <laughs> That's right. I, no, I'm sorry. I will not give you our advanced technology. You can't have any of the tech. Also, everyone, uh, we a rule. everyone in the quadrant hates us, so it's not like we even bring any cool relationships. We are just running full speed from our enemies. Well, not full speed. No, it'd be I cool. make some. I make some wild decisions about that, too. Uh, but yeah, if you want to buddy like, up, you know, we can, like... We can, we got lots of stories. There was one people we met, they loved stories. We could give you some of those. She fucking tried a diplomatic solution with these guys last time and ended up having to create a fucking black hole that ate them. Oh, yeah. So, anyway, that's her big plan this week. Yeah. World building, I am a two. Okay. We learn about Herogen culture, but it's all bad and nonsense. Mm -hmm. The nanoprobes have a stun setting. And only seven can open a gateway to, as you call it, the wet zone. Yeah. It's not a lot for me. Okay. Uh, Ben had it as a one. Um the ship can now just make this transdimensional hole willy nilly. Yeah, I mean if seven's up to it, I guess. <laughs> Sometimes they can't make it because she doesn't want to, so it's not it's not quite at will. Uh let's see what else I got that wasn't mentioned. Uh this Herogen, he's got some theremin sensors. He just like waves his hand over them and they tell him what the alien ships are up to. So that's kinda cool. Uh more of that war paint, all the stuff about how they're nomadic, don't have a home world, whatever. Um these Herogen guns are comically large. They're extremely silly. They look like Halo. It's really dumb. Tony Todd at one point gets his weapon back after he gets out of the sick bay, and I just I was just like, he should see the other weapons on the ship and go, actually can I trade? Maybe this, I'll, one. this one's this one's this one's easier. This one looks better. I don't have to be eighteen feet from the guy to use it. <laughs> uh I know we talk about this a lot. But how does it help Seven or her colleagues to be able to view her entire ass crack through that suit? <laughs> I mean, what does it do for, like, Tuvok or Janeway? It's a fucking... First of all, it's the perfect combination of form and function. That's Everyone right, right, that. right, right, right. That is canon. 
I just, it's so distracting every week. They film so many scenes from behind and you just go, what, what are we doing? I am kind of waiting for her to notice that all of the other women on the ship don't have to wear that. They all just wear regular ass uniforms. Just even if you don't give her any cool pips, just put her in the jumpsuit. Yeah. Give her one of those engineering jumpsuits like uh, Shimoda had to wear or whatever. Yeah, like a workman. Give her the full uniform. She can be Workman 7. That's fine. Give her some fucking coveralls or something. I can't deal with it. And when she's. At least when she was in the spacesuit, I was like, oh, she doesn't have to wear heels for once. She gets to wear the stupid environmental suit. It's bad. It's bad for sure. But do you remember in last week's Enterprise when they made that poor girl who plays Hoshi shoot basketball without a bra? Yep. Uh, yes, indeed. So I, I did have in my notes, why don't they have sports bras in the future? Uh, yep. Well, so yes, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. It makes no sense. Yeah. It's horrible that the doctor's proud of this outfit. But I just, every week it bothers, like it distracts me for portions of the episode where I just get in like a thought loop where I can't figure out <laughs> why it's happening in universe and why they don't stop it. R- really but, takes you out of it, huh? Yeah. Uh, there are some Brocktoon tubes on this Herogen ship, which will henceforth be referred to as Brock tubes. Um, I expected that that guy would be in one of those fucking things like a Bacta tank or something. Yeah. But he was just laying around like an idiot. And they found the other guy's head. Um... There are apparently no away team procedures. It's just rifle through shit and hope you don't find a booby (laughs) trap, I guess. TP picks up a guy's severed head and just looks at it. What did he think... What did he think was Gibby in that helmet? (laughs) Maybe he thought it was like a really heavy helmet. Yeah, I found where he keeps his porn. He keeps (laughs) it in this helmet. He thought no one would look there, but I know all the places. I keep the porn in my helmet. He didn't count on me being such a perv. Uh, this Herogen's weird, ridgy armor probably says something about its anatomy, but we'll never know. It's got, like, ridges all down the center and everything. Oh, no, no. My expectation is that we might hear the word Herogen again, but maybe never see them. <laughs> oh, you think they're done? I think they might be. Oh, I know they're not, because I, I remember a very unfortunate two-parter. Oh, my God. We got to do a yeah. two-parter <laughs> yeah. about it? Yep, it's not, Jesus. It's not the best. Also... But you're not tired of Nazis yet, are you? Okay. Um, the CGI guy, you can't read him on sensors in case we didn't note that when they were around the first time. Um, again, Seven's the only one who knows how to open a singularity. Uh, that Herogen hull armor seems like the really good stuff. They talk about that for a little while. Uh, I gave it as much as a three. Well, all right. Uh, what about characterization the great strength of the show voyager sure um let's start with the doctor he's always uh on top on top of his game and uh putting up numbers filling up the score sheet the doctor theoretically practices his bedside manner but he still sucks at it seven still complains whenever voyager stops to do extraneous shit uh this time humanitarian aid so it's not as cool a look she also has some leftover fear of 8472 from back in her Borg days. Uh, she goes rogue in this episode and is punished at the end, which I guess sets up some stuff for her and Janeway to work through. It's probably a good choice because that's the only thing that I care about on this show, is Seven sticking it to Janeway. Janeway cold sucks. 80 consecutive episodes of both hot <laughs> and cold sucking. 
<laughs> she calls not getting into a shooting war with six Herogen vessels good old-fashioned diplomacy. Like it's some great achievement. And by yeah. the way, she doesn't manage it. But that's the plan, is to do some good old-fashioned diplomacy not fighting with the Herogen. Uh, she puts the safety of the uh, CGI alien over her own crew. That's actually pretty consistent with Jean's Starfleet, but maybe not practical considering how far they are from safety. She also used to fight Cardassians. That fucking war, man. That terrible Cardi war. Everyone had to fight in it. It makes no sense, and it's fucking wild. Like, we're about to see a dude who's got weird PTSD about it. <laughs> oh yeah, we're getting close to that one. And it makes, like, zero sense. It really doesn't... I can't... I mean, it is Vietnam-ish, but, like, there's no way that war is the Federation's Vietnam. No, because fucking Starfleet could have built one starship called the USS You Done Fucked Up yeah. and sent it to wipe out all of Cardassia from what we've seen. <laughs> yeah. I just can't... Not enough has been explained. Do I have to read some of those nasty novels? They're so bad, and there's fucking in some of them. I'm going to have to read some real memory beta stuff to figure out this fucking Cardassian war. Turns out everyone was on that front line. Um, just a four for me. It's a four for Ben. Uh, yeah, he likes seeing Seven be nervous. That is kind of a new look for her. Mm -hmm. Um... Janeway needs to learn some compassion. Remember Tuvix, he says. Yeah. Uh, also, I will not comply is something he's been waiting for Seven to say to Janeway. It and, is great uh, that some... she just popped in there in season four. And yeah. just keeps looking around like, is this shit for fucking real? Is this, this is where I've landed? And he says Janeway's a bad space mom. Uh, I also gave it a four. What did you give it? Four. Okay. Oh, really kind of in lockstep yeah, this fours week. fours across the board on characterization. Um, most of Janeway's moral high ground about sacrificing a life to save your own falls pretty flat in the wake of Tuvix. <laughs> hey, look. that it, You all know her first imperative is to set things right. Yes, that is true. It's the only thing she cares about. It's the thing that is, is much more important than self-sacrifice, is making sure that things are as they should be. She talks about wanting to be like in the old days of Kirk, but she really wants to be in Quantum Leap. <laughs> That's right. She wants to set it right and move on to the next mission. Um, her disappointed parent routine needs work yeah. for sure. Uh, but the worst thing is I have no idea what her plan was for after they sent the Undyne home. Uh, like, what was the plan? Yeah, because her initial plan was good old fashioned diplomacy. Was that it? Maybe that was the plan, but she didn't. have. OK, like now everybody listen. I did let your prey escape. But we could be friends. Yeah. Maybe we could find you some other prey. I've still got Tony Todd. Yeah, I like that idea. <laughs> I'm gonna send him after some innocent species. No, find find like a real gum to out in space to to fucking put him on the scent of. I guess Seven is on suspension now. Yeah. Though her actions are pretty consistent with everything we've seen. And uh, Schmaltz is just in this one for comic relief. And it's not about a funny subject necessarily, so. No. <sighs> Just a four. Yeah, I mean, that all seems fair. Uh, you got some some quick ones? Just a few. Uh, Tony Todd, of course, everyone's already pointed it out. Yep. Uh, My only quick hitter is about Tony Todd. 
this shitbag Schmollis was practicing mild sexual harassment twice a day with Kess. Well, no wonder he turned out that way. No yeah. one ever corrected him. No one went, you shouldn't, that's not what... And Around she's here, like, like from practice. a fucking refugee camp, so she this was not the battle she wanted to fight. But you know she can't have enjoyed it. No. No, no one came up to him and said, hey, around here we practice the way we play. And uh, we all play like that. That's not what we do. Seven of Nine is becoming the wharf of this show. Just giving good advice and getting ignored. Mm-hmm. That's good, because uh, the wharf didn't become the wharf of Deep Space Nine. So there's, there's <laughs> an open... There's open space. It's true. Aside from hunters, there must be two other jobs among the Herogen, bladesmiths and shipbuilders. Mm -hmm. And I imagine the most holy calling of the priesthood is tying all these damn nets. (laughs) (laughs) Just nets everywhere. Yeah, because it definitely doesn't seem like these two fucking dudes are going to spend any time doing that. So you're right. That is somebody's fucking excellent job. Tuvok points out to Seven that she's nervous about this old boy, but he does not offer any help or advice. Not even some Vulcan exercises like he normally does. Nah, not shit. And then uh, also, did this uh, one Species 8472 ship also get thrown 10,000 light years by Kess? Because it seems like it shouldn't be in the same part of space. It really we learned doesn't. that it's from that same battle. Yeah, we get the weird flashback of it. Uh, like, in the exact same space, as Vo- it was like Voyager adjacent. You can see Voyager in the shot. Because <laughs> they didn't want to, you know, make a shot. Because it's for reuse. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, apparently it just, it's been flying conventionally for 10,000 light years? I don't know. In six months. Yep. Not clear. But the her- but the Herogen were able to track it for 50 light years. Yes. <laughs> uh. Yep. I gave best actor to Tony Todd. Obviously. I gave worst actor to all the other Herogen. Also, obviously. Um, That's Voyager. No quick oh, hitters. No, you, got, you got your one quick hitter, right? Yeah, nothing from Ben on quick hitters. The only one I had was, okay, so I know I really thought the guy last week was Tony Todd. <laughs> it ended up being whatever his <laughs> name was, something little. But I'm even more sure this erosion is Tony Todd. I still didn't look it up, but I felt very sure it was Tony Todd. Yeah, this time you were right. It's Tony Todd. Yeah, that was it, man. We uh, we knocked out Voyager, I think, in much less time than we normally do. So Maybe CBS will just do a show called Kern that's just about Kern. God, but he'd have to be old. No, he's under all that makeup. He wouldn't even have to be that much older, really. Yeah, we don't know how long. Click-ons live a long time, right? Oh, yeah, they do. That fucking guy, Core, is always around. Yeah. yeah all right, yeah, it I'm can into be, it. It can be however far in the future they need to put it to make Kern the right age make tony todd the right age to be current my only problem with it is just that they're just gonna do what they do with all the shows it's gonna be a lot of action and the plot ain't gonna make a lick of sense yeah like that is how they do yep all right what was next yeah third place last week was uh tng this week we watched the loss We start with Troy in her office, sitting through some lady's one-act play about her dead husband. <laughs> that lady really did seem like she was she was doing a stage play. Uh, it was, it's very jarring when you get to frame of mind, and you're like, this is no different from the normal acting. Yep. Um, anyway, uh, Troy owns her psychologically with this old, very ornate music box. Mm. 
that she had no right to have, but she did have. She just took it. Picard is trying to convince Riker to play with him in the holodeck when Worf gets a weird phantom sensor reading. Mm-hmm. And suddenly Troy seems distracted. And then after the other lady leaves and no one's around to see it, she suddenly gets a crippling headache and passes out. Oh, shit. And there was a music box involved? It's fucking Dowd, isn't it? Kevin Oxbridge, he's back, baby. Yeah. Um, they don't find anything in space. They think it's just uh, some sensor nonsense, and they Picard has them go to warp six. I don't know why they would have been stopped. Yeah, I don't know what they were up to. I don't know if there was a captain's log telling us anything. I think it just opened on Troy. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't work. They immediately crash right back out of warp, and then they find themselves being like pulled along by some unseen force. Mm. Troy wakes up and calls sickbay and tells Dr. Crusher she's very dizzy, but she doesn't tell her that she's in a lot of pain. Or and I don't know why. Or that she can't sense anything anymore. I don't know if she knows that yet. Uh, she hasn't figured that one out yet. Okay. And so anyway, Tro- uh, Troy says, yeah, uh, everyone just fell over, so I got to go take care of some stuff. I will be there soon. Yeah. And... Um, Enterprise can't get out of this thing. Picard calls a big meeting in the observation lounge. Crusher has gotten to Troy, who's feeling a little better now, and they head up there. And in the briefing, Troy suddenly realizes she can't sense Dick. She can't sense anything in space or on the ship. So she goes to sickbay, and Crusher says, Listen, you have hella brain damage. (laughs) It's a lot, and it's bad, and it's not going to get better. And Troy says, well, it'll get better, though. <laughs> yep. I'll sleep Crusher on it. Wants, Crusher wants her to talk to one of the other qualified therapists on board. Apparently, there are several. Yeah, she says that. I don't know yeah. if they're acting therapists or if they just have I that I think that they're all botanists or something, but they just they just <laughs> kept going to school because it's free. That's right. Yep. Good. Self-improvement. That's what it's all about. Um, but Troy brushes that all off. Mm-hmm. Not nicely, uh, either. Not, not in a right. nice way. Riker goes to her office to talk to her and she snaps at him about how everyone around her is changing and she won't be treated that way. A probe finds an odd carpet of particles around the ship. (laughs) We see Troy have another meeting with the denial lady and it doesn't go well. No, without her powers, she can't school her like she did last time. The lady just goes, you're so wrong, Deanna. And Deanna just goes, I fucking suck at this. And also, she already played her music box card. Oh, she's out. She didn't have a second article <laughs> of this woman's husband's sitting in there. <laughs> Data shows everyone a cool FMV of the two-dimensional life forms they're caught in. He really does. Um, he really does. He's like, here, I'll show you. And then he shows them, and it's like exactly what he just said. And none of them go, yeah, we got, we know. We okay. understood what you said. Um, I hope you didn't spend a lot of time on that graphic, <laughs> because I don't. I know this is maybe not constructive criticism. I don't think that was helpful. <laughs> but I did love how it uh, suddenly tra- did the flash transition from the live action blocky FF8 running to the FF8 FMV. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Troy gets snippy about an offhand remark of Jordy's and storms out mm-hmm. to sickbay to yell at Crusher some more. Yeah. Then she angry walks to her quarters and cries on the floor. She's a real mess. And yeah, she is a real mess. And after the commercial, she goes to Picard's office to resign. 
Picard gives her the three ceremonial refusals and then I guess accepts. Yeah. Uh, despite the fact that they are they're trapped and they're being pulled into a fucking black hole. And it but like I don't know why you can't say, well, you're on medical leave until we're done with the fucking black hole. Yeah, I'll, we'll deal with this, you know, later when we're yeah. out of the big danger. <sighs> Riker turns up at her quarters to um heal with his steel, I think. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, and she tells him that he's a projection and he's a holodeck character and he tells her that she's a stuck up bee. Yeah, he gives it to her. He's been waiting to. Yeah. Anyway, he gets called to the bridge before his negging can flood her basement Mm -hmm. because they're finally ready to try some breakaway plan of Jordy's, but it it doesn't work. And Jordy calls up to the bridge with bad news. The Graviton Wake was feeding on the rays. (laughs) Data thinks that the attempt briefly got the life form's attention, and Picard tells him to feed the movements into the Universal Translator. I guess because Wesley's gone now, and someone has to say dumb shit to advance the B plot. Sure. Guinan tells Troy she's going to apply for her job. Yeah, Guinan does the real work in this episode. Yeah, it's a ruse, of course. <laughs> but if there's one person on the show who's been written to be dumb enough to fall for it, it's Troy. Uh-huh. So it does seem to reach her a little bit. Oh, she gets real. She's like she is with everyone in the whole episode. She's kind of a bee about it. She's like, yeah. you know, it's not that easy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's hard work. Oh, boy. Data discovers a cosmic string fragment like right next door. Yeah. And it's pulling the creatures in like a black hole. Okay. And Enterprise is along for the ride. Worf wants to shoot the creatures with photon torpedoes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jordy says, or we could just like just fire a warning shot. See if that does anything. Right. Well, it doesn't do anything, so Worf lets, uh, so Picard lets Worf shoot them. Yep. It's not the decision Janeway would have made, but Picard's not Janeway. Sure. Uh, Anyway, that also does nothing. Troy's packing up her shit when Ensign Dead Husband stops by to tell her that she was right when she said something stupid obvious. (laughs) That second one where she didn't school her. She she was right after all. And then Picard calls Troy in and tells her, Listen, I need you to figure out how to talk to and understand these creatures. Or, uh, shit, we're gonna die in, like, five hours. And then he puts the Dream Team back together and sends her to work with Data. Yeah! Data tells Troy they seem like simple creatures, not like a complex intelligence. And uh, then Troy magically says her own magic word, instinct. (laughs) And decides that the lifeforms are intentionally moving towards the cosmic string fragment. And then these two chodes come up with an amazing plan. To show a picture of the cosmic string to them somewhere else in space. Because if or there's like, one thing that we've been able to tell about these 2D creatures is that they can definitely see the cool pictures they're going to project. Yeah. I they guess didn't respond to photon torpedoes at all, but like this is going to do it. <laughs> exactly. But hey, maybe if we use the ship's parabolic dish, mm-hmm. we could refocus the vibrations from the... Co- anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It works. Um, and then... There, so the ship's free... No one even notices that the creatures are not harmed by the cosmic string because they're so excited about Troy's power suddenly coming back. And she explains that it's the one place in the galaxy the creatures most wanted to be. (laughs) And she tells Crusher and Riker and Guinan that she was probably just overwhelmed by all their thoughts. I remind you that Crusher scanned and said she had brain damage. Yes. I guess that's gone. She was just overwhelmed by all their thoughts. Anyway, (laughs) she's sorry she was such a C word. (laughs) <laughs> I guess the brain damage is gone now. I don't know. Yeah. Or she has so, it forever and no one ever does anything. Yeah, or 
or Crusher don't know shit yeah. about Betazoid brains. Yeah, she just saw a part that the Betazoids have that humans don't, and she was just like, it was like brain damage. Anyway, this is one of the most uh, reset button of episodes, but Matthew, what was it about? All right, I'm ready. Um, developing a disability doesn't make you useless. Or the simple version, disabled people aren't useless. Don't treat them like they're furniture, I guess. I am okay with them pointing this out, but anybody who's not a monster already knows this. I gave it a six. Uh, well, Ben's take was, it's hard but crucial to look outside your own point of view. Mm. I guess he's really focused on the B story, and he gave that a six. Yeah, because it was... But I'm with you. I said, uh, disabled people are still useful? There you go. Question mark? It's a tough one because everybody already knows this except for some reason the one person who should. Yes. <laughs> so it really becomes a, like no one in the whole show, no one else on all of Enterprise thinks that Troy needs to quit her job. They no. all think she, you know, went to school for it and has credentials. And holy shit, has she just been like reading minds this whole time? Is that her whole thing? The, they, everyone who talks to her tells her, you'll figure it out. It takes time. You'll be okay, though. Yeah. We're hey, all being been, here. It's been seven hours. You've yeah, like, give it a minute. You've got a support mechanism in place. Like you, we're all here. We're a big happy family on the Enterprise, and you're gonna be a okay. Just give it yeah. time. And then she's just like, it's fucking over. Yeah, well, because no one needs convincing except Troy, and that doesn't make sense. It kind of becomes just a story about going through a loss of an ability, and not one that manages to say anything. Oh, uh, sure. Yes. She's just shitty, and then it comes back at the end. So, I gave it a two. <laughs> I don't think they actually said anything about it. Okay, well, that's fair. Um, I think mine, I took that into execution. Um, oh, don't worry. I'm also giving it a two in execution. <laughs> okay, good. So you really hammered this one. Sorry. I don't want to confuse you. Sure. The, the writers made so much effort to have Troy describe people as being two-dimensional mm -hmm. to tie them in with the B story and so little effort imagining what these two-dimensional life forms must be like. Yeah. Like, it's a very interesting... Like, how can there be two-dimensional life forms? No one cares. What yeah. does it mean for them to be two-dimensional? No one cares. Yeah, the immediate... I understand the immediate need is to not go into that cosmic string, but then, like, no one is... No one's worried about anything else, I guess. There's a thousand people on this ship, and it seems like four people were trying to get him out of the cosmic string. Who? Why wasn't no one doing studies? Yeah, honestly, if you just look at the box score, how many minutes are Worf and Data and Troy? Always. They're doing 48 a night. Like, they're going to get tired. <laughs> we have to do some load balancing. We're going to have some, have some days off. Yes. Like, it's bullshit. No one else does anything on the whole fucking ship. Even Data didn't do much. He, like, he eventually worked with Troy, but, like... Someone tells Troy it's like if one of them went blind, but no one completes the thought, so she never tries to talk to Jordy about it. Well, Picard, isn't it Picard who says that? One of the many times she cuts him off and fucking absolutely shits all over him. Yeah. Picard accepts Troy's resignation after she's been without her powers for, I don't know, 18 hours maybe? Yeah. Should have put her on medical leave or something. Plus, the B-plot is very dumb. It introduces a bunch of interesting ideas entirely to throw them away, and the stakes are artificial and very silly. 
Like, why do they have to be pulled into the fucking car? Why isn't, wouldn't it be enough that Enterprise was becalmed? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why do they have to, uh, suddenly they're going to also all die? They love their ticking clocks, and they need them to be, like, end-of-the-world ticking clocks. But finally, it's very dumb in a TV show when somebody says a magic phrase, mm. and then someone else goes, in this case it would be instinct, so, and then Troy would go, instinct. Yeah, look off into the distance and have her idea Data, face. the creatures are just acting on instinct, but she says it herself. <laughs> she reacts to her own use of the word instinct to save the day, and, then, and that is... That's bad TV. Puts on her big idea face. Yeah. It's really so good. It's a, t- it's a two for me. All right. Well, um, Ben gave it a four, an execution. He says, um, Deanna takes five minutes and makes a widow cry. Seems like she should have been able to do that before months and months had elapsed after the death of her husband. Well, I don't know. Oh, yeah. She was saving it up. She was saving her one card, I guess. She was waiting for the whatever anniversary of his death or something. Uh, otherwise, he says Troy's storyline doesn't matter and is forgettable since her powers come back. Yeah. Um, Troy does, I guess, overcome her adversity to save the day by using her brain and thinking. But she's an insano the entire episode. She just throws herself from one massive overreaction to the next. It's uh, It's not a good look. She's... I mean, she's kind of exactly like this woman that she's been counseling, but mm. she doesn't recognize it. It's not important that and she's no like her. no one says it. <laughs> yep. The science plot is boring, and it makes no impression, like, because they don't care. Um, I think the issue was in the design of this episode more than anything else. There just isn't much here to care about either way. Like, even if they knocked this out of the park, I don't think anyone would give a shit about what was happening. Unless Troy, like, doesn't have her powers again. That's the only way you can make this episode mean anything. Uh, just a four for me. World building? These two-dimensional life forms that somehow interrupt Troy's powers, they're, they're a thing. Um, they're torpedo-proof. By the way, they never explain why their existence, other than her saying out loud she, maybe she was just overwhelmed. <laughs> like, why would their presence... Make it so that she couldn't use her powers. They don't even really explain why their presence makes it so that Enterprise can't do anything. But yeah, um, they're torpedo proof. They instinctively want to fly into a cosmic string. The Betazoid brain has an amazing ability to heal itself, says Troy. In a moment when she was very desperate and reaching for answers, so who knows if that's true? Yeah, not sure what that even means in the first place. Jordy's plan is to do a controlled overload of the warp core. It means they don't really get CTE, so they got to keep playing American football longer. <laughs> Dude, I watched more American Gladiators over the weekend. And there Did you see a lot of concussions? I saw so many concussions. Like, so many <laughs> identifiable concussions happen on screen, where you just go, oh, no, that guy's done. Like, that guy just lost, like, three years off his life. Like, that's a real problem that I just saw. Like, playing Powerball or whatever. Oh, I love American Gladiators. Okay, um... So, I don't know if you heard me. Jordy's plan, his plan A, by the way, is to do a controlled overload of the warp core. That doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like an overload if it's controlled. A controlled the, overload. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess this dude's never heard of Chernobyl. I actually just started watching Chernobyl on HBO. Uh, people seem to have liked that. It's a, It was extremely sad. 
and um, pretty well done, though I think maybe not necessarily rooted in fact. It was more a big morality tale about living in an authoritarian regime and what that means for the way people act every day. Um, Troy says that when she can't sense people's emotions, they're like projections on the holodeck. And this week, data feeds movement patterns into the 2D, or for the 2D lifeforms into the Universal Translator. For something. I don't think yeah. anything happens with that. Uh, just well, to- he accidentally fed it into um, Universe Sandbox 2 on uh, Steam. <laughs> and I nothing think. really happened. There I were mean, no great cosmic changes. Yeah, you know, one planet went flying into space. Who cares? <laughs> Uh, God, just a two for me. I didn't feel like there was really a lot happening. If they'd done anything with that B-plot, there could have been points, but they didn't They didn't care. I mean, it's a two for Ben with the question, what the fuck is a cosmic string and yeah. 2D living beings? Uh, I gave it as many as a three. Hmm. This is the first, believe it or not, mention of the structural integrity field. Huh. That uh, thing's a great mystery. Yeah, but it makes the ship real stiff. <laughs> I think that's important. Yep. It's not as important as the inertial dampers, but it's very important. I just I wish at one point throughout the run of any of the series they explained what exactly it means when like the structural integrity field is down to nineteen percent. Or like oh, yeah. what it means when the inertial dampeners are offline. What does any of it really mean? I really feel like in both of those cases it means if we're gonna turn, we've got to do it real slow. <laughs> Uh, this is, uh, the ship's parabolic dish, so it started at the beginning of this season with Best of Both Worlds, but now that fucking deflector dish can do whatever you need it to do. It's a magical dish. I can't wait for Riker to tell Jordy to make it a big phaser. (laughs) In Darmok. Cosmic strings, two-dimensional life forms, Betazoid brains. Uh, I gave it as many as three. Okay. Mostly for the structural integrity field. Well, it definitely or sticks someone around. Someone was like, how come the ship doesn't, like, bend? <laughs> Something must be happening. I don't know, man. They got force fields and, and all that. Uh, Characterization-wise, I gave it a four. Okay. Troy turns out to be a very privileged character. And Riker's remark that she's aristocratic is possibly literally true. Yeah. With I all mean, the, certainly her mom the Holy rings of Beta Z, etc. Yeah. But they shy away from actually exploring the idea. Yeah. Like, it's just a thing he says to her, and then later she was like, thanks, I needed to fucking hear that, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Beverly says everything is cool between them at the end, but how much do you want to bet there aren't any more stretching sessions in the mirror room (laughs) for a while? Not until she's fucking Odan, probably. Uh, probably is Odan. Well, which is first, Odan or Subrosa? Oh, um, mm, I think Odan, but yeah, that's a good question. It must be Odan because they didn't have trills yet. And by season six, which is when... No, season Space six. Nine, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right, I you're right, you're right. I guess this makes it clear once and for all that Picard and Troy aren't friends. Yeah. He doesn't visit her, and he really half-asses trying to talk her out of resigning. I feel so bad for him. He's got- this is an episode where he is trying to be friends with Riker, by the way. Yeah. He's trying to get him to go horseback riding with him on the holodeck. Yeah. But not Troy. Had Pat Stew come around in real life, he was like being more personable, and that's why they decided to write that into Picard's character. I don't know, maybe. Because <laughs> remember when he first came on the ship, he everyone would try to like have fun and joke around and he would yell at them about being serious professionals. 
Maybe uh, maybe he got a little spooked by the best of both worlds cliffhanger. <laughs> it's very scary. Uh, characterization's a four for me. Okay. Uh, ben gave it as much as a five. He says Riker goes in for a kiss and she stops him only because she needs to scold him. So they're fucking at this point? I don't think they ever have like a prolonged period where they're not. No, they've never not been. Yeah. Do you remember in Menage Troy when they, they just, just make went out. on a date to their old sex haunt? And they make out, and they're clearly about to do a lot more than that, except her mom shows up. Yeah, for sure. They are for sure with benefits at this point. Uh, Deanna gets mad at Beverly for no reason. She's coming off super bad. Guinan is right as usual. So those are the points Ben makes for his five. For me, uh, Troy doesn't seem very patient with this lady in the beginning that she's doing the, the session with. But I don't blame her. This chick sucks. Her haircut sucks. She's just... It'd be great, it'd be great if Troy said, I'm so fucking sick of looking at your toadstool hair. <laughs> One of the times when she, like... I mean, she loses it with everybody else in this fucking episode. She might yep. as well. Um, Troy, again, surprisingly cool with music boxes these days. I guess she wasn't traumatized by that doubt incident. Uh, her uh, medical appointment with Beverly turned into a major fucking problem. Riker just watched those ladies shoot bitch rays at each other in bewilderment. Like, hey, what the fuck was all that about? I thought this was like a medical issue. Uh, for the first time ever, Troy hated hearing Imzadi from uh, Riker. Uh, she shouts at everybody, she storms out of every room in her dumb pajamas, and then she resigns after about, like, five hours without her powers. Relax, lady. I think Riker was actually suspicious of Data when he asked why he didn't calculate that estimate to the nearest second. <laughs> well, because he just had that problem. <laughs> he just had that come up. And then he had to play it off. Like, it was dull, like, oh yeah, no, no, I get it, I get it. No big deal. I love the idea that there's been about 15 scenes we didn't see in the last two weeks <laughs> where he's been asking people real leading questions. And then at the end he goes, okay. All right, then. Uh, then he just shouts at Jordy. I'm going to go look at that harp. Look at those ladies play the harp. <laughs> One quarter second after the ship starts to shake, he shouts at Jordy. Like, Jordy wouldn't even have time to, like, digest what's on his monitor by the time Riker's yelling at him. Well, I mean, how many times do you think he's told Jordy you're not capable of this level of incompetence? <laughs> and then it, in the meeting when Troy's realizing she can't sense anything, Riker gives her a real mean squint. Not like he's concerned, but like he wanted to know why she was lying. And then he gives it to her about, you know, being ashamed of her human side. I always thought your uh, Betazoid heritage was a bit too aristocratic. Like, it isn't nice of him, but she had just called him a projection without color or depth. <laughs> so I don't really blame him. Uh, God, I have so many Riker notes in this episode. He was barely in it. Um, is Riker really, like, one of the best team players? Is he always like, I'm going to say something dumb now so Jordy can say something smart? Because he shouts at Data, Data, we're not talking about a violin. And then he like looks around for a high five. And Jordy's right there behind him to clean it up for him and go, no, wait a minute. Data's right. I thought, that's nice. That's nice of Riker. So he's setting guys up like that. Um, Crusher suggests five minutes after Troy learns about her brain damage that she go see a therapist. You can give it a minute. 
Like, not even until it gets better. <laughs> you know what better. she probably needs to do? Take a nap. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't even have to get better. Like, just let her sleep on it and, like, kind of get used to the idea. And then maybe we'll talk about therapy later. Uh, it occurs to me that Guinan's actually always been the ship's counselor, and Troy's just the weapon Picard uses against alien captains on the bridge. <laughs> yep, yeah, uh, Devonani Raw still a shithole, but um, totally right. He's so right. Just one hundred percent right about that. He definitely used his even less empathic powers to figure that one right out. I hated him, and I hated how he negged her, and she fell for it. I hated that whole episode. But when he said that stuff to her, I went, that's "Fucking, that's just a good point, though." Well, <laughs> try try to defend it. I mean, oof. Yeah, so Guinan, as always, crushes it. Um, Worf recommends killing these fuckers right fast. He wants them dead, these 2D beings. Um, Troy is the sometimes main... Sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not there and he can't stand <laughs> it's it. It's like a door that won't open or like two Rikers or whatever. He just... He's not into these ideas. Um, when he tells... When the when they appear and then they don't, he's almost like... he. Th- he thinks that Riker and Picard are going to think he was lying, but like they all heard his console beeping like a crazy person at him. <laughs> That's right. They'll know he don't need to him. defend it. Um, Troy was the main character in this episode, and she sucked in a million ways. So even though I like some of the other stuff, I, I could only give it a four. Quick hitters? Mm, boy. Okay. This first lady, again, the lady with the mushroom cut. She sucks so hard. There's a lot of bragging about how much she doesn't care about her husband's death. Now, you had just watched First Contact. Mm-hmm. But did you remember who this woman plays in another movie? No. Picard's fantasy wife in the Nexus. Oh, you only see her, like, her dumb redhead gets on the screen for a second and you go, is it? And then all you can think is... Is his perfect world like Victorian England? <laughs> yes, it's very distracting What's how Victorian happening? it is. But it's like but not now, everything in it is Victorian. Like there's electric lights and stuff and you're like, I'm really What's ha- what is his fantasy exactly? But now I mean, here's one to think about. His fantasy wife looks exactly like this ensign under his command. It's not good. We just learned something Uh-oh. about him. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and she's got season one Beverly hair, like kind of a younger version. And she really sucks eggs, and she still has a job on the flagship, so... Yeah. Uh, Marjan had a note Probably just an old man's fantasies. God. And just as I was talking about a Marjan note, you know how much that disappointed her. (laughs) Finally, finally a guy sticking up and being like a good mentor to to a woman. Uh, Watch out for Shelby. She's going to make a good first officer. (laughs) I mean, you seem real taken with her. Just oh, an old man's fantasy. fantasy. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> it's a good, that was a good gotcha, though. They definitely got us. Um, Marjan's note, in the first bridge shot, Spiner is just sitting there smiling to himself. <laughs> As always, he has more emotions than all the other characters. Uh, He's probably singing that life form song in his head. Oh, yeah, he, that was definitely not He something. made them write it into the later movie. Yeah. yeah, he didn't come up with that on the spot in that movie. Um, I just imagine Troy as played by uh, Mongji, and it's a really good show. Okay, let's think about okay, it. She has no empathic powers, but she's great at finding clues and avoiding getting captured. Also, she has got that blank expression all the time and swears at the rest of the crew. <laughs> 
Uh, I would love a version of Troy who was constantly calling Data a little rascal or a <laughs> scumbag, scumbag or what, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Uh, Picard didn't get to tell this cool anecdote about the wheelchair lady he knew. That made me feel bad. He was he, You could tell he thought that was the one that was going to do it. That was going to snap Troy out of it. He goes, you know, I knew, I, I knew a lady and she was in a wheelchair. Ah, damn it. Troy shut him up right away. She was so mad at him for trying. Okay. Do you know when I was at the cat? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> and he's trying to be sensitive so he doesn't go, you know, it'd be nice if I could finish one damn sentence. I was going to say she was a real bitch to everyone and she died alone, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, Troy is tiny, like really tiny. And she was way taller than that bitch that she was doing therapy on. Was that the redheaded mushroom lady? Do you a think midge? she's really tiny because of that one scene where Riker picks her up? Well, anytime she's like six three or six four, right? Every time she's in a scene with Riker, I do think to myself, Riker looks like he's two Troys tall. <laughs> I think he's exactly two Troys. She does because they have to stand so close to each other for the TV framing. She is constantly craning her neck way up at him because yep. she has to be. Like, up his butt just, most of the time? Just like the way Jean-Luc was looking at him last week. Just walking <laughs> right next to him with his neck craned way up into the side. <laughs> um, I don't know. She looked way taller than that red-headed lady, though, and that was confusing, too. I didn't know if she was up on, like, a... Does her office have, like, a raised part in the middle where the couches are? Oh, uh, probably. I don't like know. Like a, like a 70s living room? Yeah, oh, like, real nasty. Like, some yeah. nasty Devonani Rawl shit happened in there. We know it did. For sure. Ah, uh, that's plenty. No, uh, no quick hitters from Ben. Yeah, I have a few. Uh, first of all, I loved seeing Guinan lurking around in the thumbnail for this episode. <laughs> yeah, not about her at all. I don't think about this as being a Guinan episode, but then I, you do remember she's the only one who does any effective work with Troy the whole show. Yep. Um. Hey, real talk. Did Troy just want to keep that music box for herself? But now she's got to give it back. She probably like kept it for herself and has been feeling guilty about it for a long time and finally found like the one thing that'll get her off the hook. She's like, all right, I can give this away and make it seem like it was my super cool fucking counselor plan. Troy can just call sickbay whenever she wants. Mm -hmm. You could just do that on this ship. Why does she crawl around holding her head and doing nothing? Nobody on Star Trek ever calls sickbay when there's something wrong. It's actually aggravating. Remember how long Listen, it took like, her to call the first time when she was having the Dowd thing? I kind of get it. Like, I don't want to go down there and have Beverly Crusher tell me everything that I've been doing wrong because she's kind of Mott the Barber, but <laughs> with a sharper sharper features. Yep. But, uh, uh come on, man. Yeah, it's very aggravating. No, no Just one crawl around knows. holding your head and screaming. That's what I do, but going to the doctor in our world is just so much more complicated. It is true. I uh, I know I continually protest at Data's emotionlessness, quote-unquote. Mm. I really, really wanted him to roll his eyes when Jordy said, the last time I saw a pattern like that, I was skin-diving the coral reefs of Bracus 5. <laughs> like, that's a perfect opportunity for someone to go. <sighs> we know, we get it. You went on one yeah. trip. Yeah, you've talked about it. We hear it's about come it up. all the time. I saw your fucking your fucking slideshow. Like enough. Oh, Bra Bracus Five was it? <laughs> cool. 
That is such a weird brag that Jordy throws in there. Real quick question for you. What's skin diving? <laughs> yeah, that sounds like... Oh, it's just something you heard? Okay. Sounds like skinny dipping. Is that what he meant to say? Is Jordy getting raw out there? Now this bee is mad at Crusher for not coming to her quarters quicker after she crawled around shouting my head and if only there was something I could do. <laughs> yep. Telling Riker he's no more real than a holodeck character is not going to advance your cause much after Future Imperfect put Minuet back on his mind. Oh, God. He just had to tell Tom Locke, and Tom Locke wasn't real, but let's not... He he doesn't remember which things were and which things weren't, so it doesn't matter. proudly tell Tom Locke, Ha ha, you idiot! <laughs> you read my mind and found out I'm in love with a hologram, dummy! Uh, finally, they zoomed in so close to this model of Enterprise for the parabolic dish shots that you can see all the pores and bumps in the plastic. Mm, like, normally the models look better than the CG, but in this case, you were kind of like, hmm, yeah. And they needed to trim the flashing off right there. <laughs> Maybe that's where the big old rivets went. <laughs> you know. The big rivets they need for Enterprise. It does. It just doesn't make a lot of sense when they zoom in that much. I give best actor to Guinan, worst actor to Tess Allenby, the new Helms woman. Oh yeah, she talked like a real fucking idiot robot. That's fair. <sighs> What's next? Second place last week was Enterprise. Oh shit! So this week we watched Awakening. Buckle in for this sentence. Do it. Soval faces the High Council, where Velas now claims that Stell was a Cyranite. <laughs> Thank you. And where he is, unsurprisingly, fired. Archer and T'Pol are brought before T'Pau. And since they don't know that the evidence was forged, he screams at her about murdering all of his friends. Specifically says they were his friends. Yep. Uh, they tell her that Erev is dead, and she reveals that, of course, he was Siran himself all along. Yeah, you wouldn't have to have seen this episode before to know that. No. They put Archer in jail, and while he's in there, he tells T'Pol about the Katra transfer. Though he doesn't yet recognize it for what it was. Back on the ship, Soval tells Trip that Velas is intent on wiping out the Siranite encampment in the Forge. And that Archer and T-Pol are in danger. T'Pol and her mom talk about her decision to join the Knights. Archer has a vision of the war at the time of Awakening. Yep. And a chat with Surak. Yep, gets to talk to Vulcan Jesus himself. Who tells him um, not to fight what's been given to him. Velas tells the High Command he's going to bombard the encampment with photonic weapons. Mm. And they're a little bit shocked, but they don't, they don't really say anything about it. Yeah, they're all a bunch, a bunch of, of yes men. Yeah, they're all sycophants for sure. Archer tells T'Pau about his vision. And they believe him when he says Surak was in his mind because they know that Siron was carrying his Katra. Oh, shit. So he reluctantly agrees to let T'Pau mind meld with him. Now, while that's happening, Soval and Trip plan a sensor glitch so that they can send a shuttle to reach the stranded crew. 
Trip asks Silval why he's suddenly helping them now after having been kind of the main antagonist of the series for the last three years. Yep. And Silval says he has developed an affinity for humans that he's just been hiding. But I guess now that everyone knows he's a melder, everything's out in the open. I know. Now he's like a totally different person. It's, if he had turned to Trip and said, also, I am wearing what you uh, what you humans call pantyhose. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, it's, it's all out now, buddy. I know, and we know you love jazz. We know you pretended not to earlier yeah, when you exactly. heard that stuff from T'Pol. Back in the cell, T'Pol tells Archer there's no scientific evidence that the Katra exists. Jesus. And that she believes that Archer sits the same shit with her every day. Yeah, she doesn't get any it's, better, I guess. Anyway, she thinks he's experiencing the residue of Sir, of Siren's mind meld. And he tells her that her skepticism is just like her prejudice against time travel and that he doesn't care what it is because either way, he wants it out of his fucking head. All right, then. Everyone's on the same page. Yeah, sort of. Uh, the Vulcans order Enterprise to leave their space and they tell him, you'll get this actual order from Admiral Gardner, but I guess, he, you know, maybe he thinks Trip will just leave now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, that's how the military works. You just when someone yeah, tells exactly you you're going it. to get an order, that's good. Hey, enough. good news. I talked to your boss, and he is going to tell you to leave. So <laughs> you can leave. Scoot. Yeah. Tapau wants to perform the ancient and unpracticed ritual of Katra transfer, but Tapau's mom thinks that's too risky, and for some reason, she's the second in command around here. It's very strange. Yeah, it's just as strange as the last time when they. They showed up and they met her within three minutes or whatever. Everyone they wanted to find, they found within ten seconds in that cave. Yeah. Um, Also, don't worry about, you know, that maybe being a good reason. She also has another reason, which is that, I don't know, if Saran put it there, maybe it's supposed to be in there. (laughs) Yeah, right? He was, he was, was he God? What were we doing with this? (laughs) Hey, what's this all been about? Uh, But... Uh, T'Pau, because she's, here's a big moral equivalency, she's not any better than Velas. She doesn't want to sacrifice everything they've been working for just to prevent hurting Archer, so she's going to go through with the goddamn Katra transfer whether he wants to or not. Yeah. But then in the next scene, she does warn him about the risks. Yeah. And so even though he doesn't have a choice, she's not, like, real shitty about it. It does horrify T-Paul, but doesn't matter because Archer wants that thing out of his fucking head. That hasn't changed. He's tired of talking to Jesus. The rest of the High Command gives each other a bunch of looks when Veloz makes it pretty clear that he doesn't want Enterprise there because he doesn't want any witnesses to his bombardment of the Forge. Mm-hmm. And they also don't love that he's been secretly listening in on Enterprise's communications, but again, they do nothing. Yep. The... Ritual to transfer the Katra begins, and Archer has another vision, and this is Surak at the end of his days, and he's suffering from radiation sickness, and he tells Archer he has to be the one to help Vulcan find what they have lost, the Kirshara. Oh, oh, I thought, you know, when he said that, I thought it was going to be something metaphorical, but it's... Yeah, you know, return them to the law, their logical... No, it's an artifact. It's a real fucking artifact. It's a fucking magical obelisk. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> The ritual fails, and T'Pau says it's because Sarek chooses to remain where he is. Yeah. Great. The, um, which I guess Spock did not. By the way, I love just the, failing at your job and going, well, I, I couldn't get the bullet out because the bullet 
It wanted, uh, it wanted, wanted to, to stay, there. stay there. So yeah. who what I? can you do? Who am I to this tell space it? war. Yeah. Um, the they've bolted wings onto one of these shuttle pods, and it drops down through the sensors. And it, but they've got patrol ships there, and it comes under fire. And they disable a couple of those patrol ships, but they have to go back to Enterprise. So that was nothing. Yep. Uh, oh, and the entire the last, B plot, which is, I guess related to the a plot seems like it's just wasting time it kind of is Velas calls again and he's like hey i told you guys to leave you're still here trip says yeah archer and t-paul are down on the surface and Velas says i don't care get out of here or we'll shoot you yep so <sighs> yeah soval says archer, soval says yeah you should well, we'll get leave. there okay it comes like right at the end um Archer's still knocked out from the ritual. T-Pol's taking care of him when her mom comes in. And T-Pol says, you guys are no better than the High Command. I don't want anything to do with you. You're not my mom anymore. <laughs> Archer wakes up and starts talking about the Kirshara. And would you believe it? It is through a door in the room that he is currently in. And it's not like, it's not well hidden. <laughs> they basically just walk around in that room for a minute and they just see it laying there and they go, there it is. It's right there, guys. The Serenites start evacuating. T-Paul's mom's going to take care of that. Velas has Enterprise driven from orbit. There's a firefight. They start walking through caves trying to find this thing. Enterprise is forced to withdraw. They start shooting on the encampment as soon as Enterprise is out of scanner range. Mm. They go down into a tomb. Archer's talking about all these individual Vulcans that he remembers. Yeah. They get to one of those doors, like where you're going to find a word of power in Skyrim. Oh, hell yeah. And Archer doesn't even have to pull out the claw nope. to, to get to get it through there. Nope. And sure enough, there's a little stone pyramid in that room, and they take it with them as the caves begin collapsing. They uh, Velas does a very villainous thing and tells his forces to make sure there are no survivors, but they're, they're not good at it, I guess. Mm. Uh because well, T-Paul finds her mom dying. Her mom says, I did this all for you. <laughs> You've always had so much trouble with your emotions and then dies. Yeah, I don't know what that's And about. that didn't seem honest to me, but that's fine. Um, Maybe she didn't know what she was saying. Maybe the, she was too injured. Could be. At this point, Soval tells Trip, all right, here's the deal. The High Command hates the Serenites because they're pacifists, and what the High Command really wants to do is attack Andoria. Yeah. And they've cooked up some fake premise that they're building a weapon using Zindi technology. Okay. So Trip says, cool, we're going to Andoria, maximum warp to be continued. Yeah, we know we're going to get to meet what's-his-name next week. It's, go it's going to be Shran, right? Yeah, it's got to be Shran. They only know the one guy. I guess it's going to be Shran time. Maybe they know that lady. I don't know if they killed her in that episode. I don't remember. Uh, I don't think Susie Plaxton made it through that one. Okay. Jesus. It's <sighs> the take of this one. Uh, what if the bad guys on the news are the good guys and vice, vice versa? Because of all the stuff going on with Velas and um, the Serenites and then um, Propaganda. And I'm not going to lie, that sounds like a real wet take. What did you score it? I gave it a straight down the middle five, only because it's <laughs> it's a real thing that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I mean, it's just, it's, uh, I'll get into an execution. What, what, uh, ben gave it a four. 
Yeah, Ben says religious dogma can lead you astray of the true philosophy. Mm. Was there anything religious in what was happening at the high command, or did no. Ben miss that they're the bad guys? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the religious dogma was, except kill all pacifists. Yeah. Uh, I ended up more in your space. Governments tell lies about their ideological opponents to maintain control. Mm-hmm. The weekend I was watching these, a uh, senator, you can guess which party he's from, yeah. introduced a bill labeling left-wing activists as terrorists. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty hard to argue that this happens. Yes. Right. That this is a thing that governments do. I give it a five. Okay. Well, uh, how did they do, though? confusing i thought soval's plan was to go lay out the details to the high command but it seems like he gives up on that immediately yeah he walks in there and he goes yes i'm a mind melder and also i'm i hate you oh, stel's a Syronite, you say well i didn't think of that <laughs> i didn't think you would make that argument yeah. and i have no proof otherwise so <laughs> you did the exact same thing you did last week and i'm i really should have been prepared Huh, whoops. Yeah. Oh, I, my new human friends are... Oh, they're expecting more than this from me. They're, and they're in the car, so I'm going to go I, back out into the yeah. car. Further confusion? I don't understand why Teles is second in command of these Cyrenites now. Like, <laughs> wasn't she a recent convert to this movement? Is it because she was like an old professor? It seems like she's just, you know, okay, you know what it seems like? It seems like she's somebody's mom that wandered in there. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it and seems just started like. giving orders? Yeah, just started acting like she was in charge. And I everyone rolls love... their eyes and they go, I don't know what to do. We can't really get rid of her. It's just a desert out there. <laughs> like, we'll just put up with it. I guess this is it now. Yeah. It's too bad we're all such pacifists. <laughs> the fucking high command is made up of a bunch of TPs. Remember a few weeks ago when he wanted to kill those guys because they were only pacifists after all? Yeah. <laughs> to his commando yeah. raid. Ugh. Yeah. I don't love visions in general. Sure. But I guess I don't have a better answer for describing what's happening in Archer's head. Like, I don't want to hear him just try to explain it with his mouth. Oh, yeah. So, I guess we got to see that nuclear war or whatever. And it seems like those other few Vulcans are just going to let Velas do whatever he wants. Fine. Uh, the Andoria cliffhanger is maybe interesting because I like Shran, but the mystical artifact is not a storyline I love. Boy, that was so, a real disappointment. I'm again, I'm going to give it a four. Okay. Uh, Ben gave it as much as a five. Um, T'Pau is a mind rapist, he writes. Somehow the Vulcan Council all seems okay with Vlasshole going off the deep end, threatening the Enterprise, planning to bomb Separatists into oblivion. It's crazy to think this would be okay to the logic-driven Vulcans. Yep, if only we hadn't seen three and a half years of their treatment by Enterprise. Because <laughs> this seems pretty much right on the ball for them. Uh, I was significantly lower. I'll, I'll just say my piece here first. Um, this whole thing about the corrupt Vulcans that's been going on the whole show. I feel like it deserves a better climax than this. Mm. Like, this is really basic. The main bad guy is so crazed and emotional. And nobody agrees with anything he says, but let he, like, leaves the room in a huff each scene and everyone goes, oh, well. Yeah, boy, doesn't it seem like the uh, Vulcan High Command should be, like, 
possibly endless debating. Yeah, right? If they want to talk about the logic of things and make sure they're getting to the point. But yeah, just like maybe permanent debating, but yeah. Isn't it also realistic that there would be more than one real asshole in there? Given that it's the high command and all these guys had to be real assholes to get to the top? How is it one real asshole and a bunch of guys who shrug? Everything about the Cyranites in their cave is hack as hell. Again, within 15 seconds, they meet everybody they were looking for. Because the entire Cyranite movement is 10 people? Yeah, it doesn't seem big enough to be a threat to the government. Yeah, you can see why the government's so worried. The 10 of these people in this hollow cave or whatever. They say mean things about us. (laughs) On Twitter. I'm going to make Twitter illegal. Sorry, we're doing it again. Um, It's so hard not to right now. I know. I mean, seriously, though, they walk into that cave. They meet Tapau immediately, who they were looking for initially. And also turns out she was second in command of this movement because now she's just given orders. Yep. And then a few seconds later, T-Pol's mom just strolls in. And it's like, man, this is some seriously coincidental writing. Yeah, it's not like she's new here. She's at the study cave studying. Yeah. Or like she has to make meals for them or something because yeah. she has no oh, skills. Oh, your mom uh, Your mom has laundry duty this week. Yeah, you gotta go find She's her. washing robes. Like, it's just the writing is so... I don't know why they're in such a big rush. Like, they got three episodes in this arc. And T-Pow... T-Pow? I'm just gonna call it T-Pow. I call it T-Pole. T-Pow sucks too. Like, the stormy ceremony to take the Katra out of Archer was like have an old movie about witchcraft or like the Temple of Doom. Yeah. Like there was so much lightning going on while she was going oh, into his Oh, there's more than a little Indiana Jones in this one with the stuff at the end. So cheesy. And then Archer leads him to the artifact they've been searching for for however long in like under a minute showtime. He just walks they, them they, to it, and you're just like, it's, again, it's not covered up in that room, it's just sitting out. These dipshits didn't bring, like, one tricorder. Mm-hmm. They could not detect that that, hey, this, hey, this weird, intricately carved wall that's not, like, cobwebs and dead people like the rest of this place, could this be anything? <laughs> it's, it's, the writing was amazing. It made me so mad the whole time. Why doesn't T-Pole believe in anything? Anything at all. Like, by season four, hasn't she seen everything? She was fighting alien Nazis a week ago or whatever. Like, hey, what if it fucking came out that she's really young? Like, I know they've already made a joke that she's old. Yeah. <coughs> and this is just like, it's just puberty. <laughs> I just, she, shouldn't she be more open She just hates her mom and she doesn't believe in anything. All the, all the stuff with her mom definitely feels like she's an angry teenager <coughs> or whatever. Trip and Solval suck hard at everything in their plot. Like, they're bad at this. They were bad last week, they're bad this week. I mean, Archer's gonna get out of the f- desert with the Kirshara, whatever that ends up being. Mm-hmm. Probably a psionic resonator would be my guess, just based on what Enterprise tends to do. Yep. <laughs> that thing that we saw in that terrible episode of TNG. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, uh, the ship's gonna be blown up, and he's gonna go, oh, should've left someone else in charge. He's gonna have to start giving... Uh, Reed's dangerous because he wants to kill everyone. Um, oh, Reed is all. There's no good choice. Hoshi. Flocks. Flocks, probably. <laughs> they probably have a flocks, similar right? worldview. I think it would be fine. <laughs> it is true. And, like, 
I know it's a shock, but it ends in a big dumb shootout between humans and Vulcans. Yep. I could only give it a two. I I I think I told you after I was done watching it how angry I was at having had to sit there and, and see the whole thing. Yeah, but that's so normal. I know. That's such a normal reaction to Enterprise. Uh, world building. Does everybody who... Does everybody know who Archer is? Like, everywhere all over the fucking galaxy? Like, he's that famous? Because the guy who saved some dump planet nobody cares about shouldn't be recognized <laughs> all over Vulcan. <laughs> like, he's just walking around and everyone's like, oh, you're that guy from uh, the Enterprise. What? Well, so, like, we know that Spock is fucking obsessed with Earth history. Mm -hmm. And that that's actually pretty common throughout the Alpha Quadrant. But, um, you know, George Washington. Sure. I love that guy. Is it not because he's half human and he's doing the uh, Worf's Klingon Encyclopedia trick? Is it because all Vulcans are a little bit obsessed with Earth? God, maybe. Well, we learned last week it's because Vulcans are, uh, they used to be just like them. And they fear their incredible progress. And also because humans are much less racist stereotypes than all of the other races <laughs> in the galaxy. Put you all into one fucking box. Three thousand years ago we got to space and we discovered it was Amos and Andy. <laughs> just everywhere. Just all of Except up in for this. you guys, so <laughs> Um I do love that guy who knows about George Washington though. What, uh, where are you from? Where are you from on Earth? Please say North America. Please say North America. Oh, North American continent. Oh, uh, well, your very own George Washington was called a terrorist. Oh, he wasn't? They didn't have that terminology? It would have been great if he'd named some French Canadian that no one's ever heard of. (laughs) Yeah, someone who tried to, like, free Quebec or something. (laughs) I mean, that is North America. She'd be like, yeah, I don't really, I'm not familiar. Um... Uh, Erev? Uh, I'm sorry, I only had to do two years of history in high school, and that's not... Yeah, we had some... That's not enough... Then none in medical school. That's not enough time to cover yeah, Earth history. I went to a STEM high school, and we really didn't... We, our general requirements were pretty light. I know some fun facts about Marie Curie, if you're interested in... That was kind you're, of how our history was viewed. Your very own Albert Einstein... That guy knows all of them. Um, Erev was Siren. That's, he is the leader of the group, like Raphael, transformed from For the sure. norm by the nuclear goop. <laughs> yep. Uh, I guess everybody has to call this Vlas guy Excellency? Uh, yeah. Seems like a bit much. <laughs> well, that's what we call NASA's head administrator, right? <laughs> I would. I hope they show up there every day at their meetings when those Zoom meetings these days are going. Excellency, uh, listen. If you want to start calling uh, senior government officials Excellency, you know who to vote for this year. That's right. Exactly right. Um, Vulcans got all the same iris color variations that humans do. Not sure if we ever talked about it, but I've seen every eye color on a Vulcan in this episode. Um. Again, the dark and scary ceremony to take the Katra out of Archer. You can chat with the guy who passed down his Katra and, like, get missions from him. Well, Archer can. It did not seem as though McCoy could. It just made him nuts. (laughs) It did just make him an unhinged lunatic, but... Oh, well. You know, that's Enterprise for you. They make it their own. 
Um, these shuttles have got backup chemical rockets. Okay, they in these caves looking for an artifact, I guess. But I... Honestly, I didn't know what they were doing until they, like, found the artifact. I had found a way not to pay attention to what was happening. <laughs> um, so who knows what that thing's gonna do. Uh, don't worry, they did not say. Okay, good. Um, the Vulcans are planning to attack Andoria, and they want to kill all the pacifists so they don't, like, have a dissenting opinion when the time comes to kill Andorians. I don't know yep. what this episode was. Uh, just a two in world building for me. I give it as many as a four. Okay. For the political stuff uh, or what? Yeah, for Vulcan politics, the last days of Surak's life and the sort of war of the awakening and the threat of war on Andoria. Okay. Sort of those areas. And I am a four for characterization. Okay. So I realize Archer doesn't know that the DNA evidence is faked, but he knew enough to tell T-Paul not to fight their capture last week, and this week he's just shouting at them about bombing the embassy. Mm-hmm. Also, he wants that thing out of his head so badly he's not even mad that they're not giving him a choice. And I don't know if I understand or care about T-Paul and her mom, but the whole thing really does undercut her decision to marry Koss, huh? Yeah. That didn't need to happen at all, huh? That's right. This lady just showed up. The very next time we saw her, she was on her on her way to her fucking death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of want... I kind of wanted Soval to just, like, show up with a fucking leather jacket and a bandana. <laughs> and be like, I'm off the reservation now. <laughs> Do a commando mission or something? Kind of, That'd yeah. be nice. So just a four. Um, I should say Ben had a five on world building. Um... So they're really leaning into this Messiah theme, even placing this whole storyline in like a Middle Eastern like region off in this desert area. Uh, it is true. Maybe the Kersharas like uh the Holy well, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Sarek doesn't seem surprised by Archer being a human. Why? Is that because he's not real? Yeah. Probably. Yeah, well, he's in. He's in his head, so I guess he knows everything Archer knows. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And then he gave it a four on characterization. Teeps is the most disbelieving of the bunch, so he likes the consistency there. Um, Just a three for me in characterization. Uh, so now this dude, Soval, is some kind of justice warrior, which is, again, quite a turn. <laughs> and he gets booted out of whatever his job was. Ambassador, I guess. He seemed to just be everywhere doing everything. They do remind him that he signed an NDA, and he does break it. That's right. <laughs> Is it about Lady G? I I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't oh. know what it meant during game night, and I don't know what it means now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll talk. We could talk about it another time. It's um, Lindsey Graham. I guess the idea is that he uses a lot of male prostitutes in the DC area, and they all call him Lady G, and they all signed oh. an NDA not to say it was him, but now they're tired of him <laughs> trying to attack all the gay people all the time, so they're gonna come okay. Out and- and release that he's Sorry. Lady G. Uh, I saw a headline that he'd been, uh, that male prostitutes were uh, banding together to expose him. And I was like, of course. And then yes. I didn't look into it at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, they, Lady G. So, that's, they all signed that, NDAs. Uh, that's not thrilling or exciting to me because that's just like, yeah, that makes sense. Obviously. Whatever. Yeah, all the people who are out there, like, 
We need to get rid of the gays are exactly the guys who get get caught doing the stuff in the bathrooms and everything. Um. Uh, so now Soval is Trip's new space dad. Everybody gets a new space yeah. dad in these shows every week. Hey, listen. I hope their relationship really blossomed. <laughs> you hope, well, you know what? I hope I hope that Soval helps Trip understand T Pole. Mm. Like, you know, that they work some stuff out. Well, it's and gonna be so helpful for him to have a Vulcan best man. He introduces him to catfish and all of that. Oh so. god, I really want to see a scene with him eating some catfish. <laughs> it's our stinkiest, muddiest fish, but it is very good. It's like we a, do like it a lot. It's it's a big ugly. It's a big ugly fish. It's got a mustache. That's how you know it's good. <laughs> uh, Archer is not cool at all when he meets um, Tapau. Not the way Kirk wasn't cool. Like a different way. Just shouts in her face and stuff. Archer talked to Jesus and got a cool new mission. What's he gonna get for completing this side quest? Um. T-Pol's mom isn't here to talk about the past. No. You know, when she gave away the Cyrenite's location. <laughs> yeah. T-Pow keeps asking her why she did it, and T-Pol's mom keeps avoiding it, and then finally goes, eh, I can't change what I did. <laughs> and just like, <laughs> she never explains why she gave away their location. <laughs> it's like, the, for some reason they had to make it, it was a secret thing she did to get that thing to T-Pol, but they couldn't actually figure out in the writer's room why it had to be a secret and why she did it at all. Um... Let's see. Uh, then she says she came to the Cyrenites, like you said, to help Teepole, but that's nonsense talk from a crazy person. Her death is... It doesn't, um, it doesn't make any sense. Her death was not impactful, and I was glad it happened. I did this all for you. Which so part? I hope you feel guilty. <laughs> that's right. What do, you, what do you mean? Is this some weird mom guilt right at the last minute? Um, I already asked why Teepole doesn't believe in anything. Um... This characterization wasn't the problem with this episode for me, but it wasn't very good. I gave it a three. Do you take any quick hitters? I only have a few. Yeah, uh, again, this bad guy Vulcan, Vloss, uh, Excellency, he is totally unhinged. How come nobody says anything? Is it because they're bad guys too? Or like... Did this guy not know what he was playing? <laughs> Because he was, you know, he'd done a stint on B5, and then he got to play the evil Admiral on DS9, and, like, he just didn't know he was supposed to be playing without emotions, basically. Because he's absolutely a madman. Yeah. Um, Sorak is played by a guy who played an Admiral a couple of times um, in Star Trek, and also the guy who interrogated Sheridan after he was captured by Garibaldi and Clark's men in Babylon 5. Hmm. Worst actor, so many candidates, but to me, Archer as Surak. Okay. Uh, or as he called him. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, or as he called him, Surak. <laughs> this is really bad. Anyway, uh, that's all I had. Why did they cast such a young woman to play T'Pau? I don't... I, is it because they knew she was in the TOS? You mean she's already very old in TOS. Yeah. Guess the Vulcans do live a long time. I guess they're saving money by only referring to Admiral Gardner instead of showing him. 
or like even casting someone to say lines yeah, as I, Admiral Gardner. I kind of wonder if we're ever going to meet him. I don't. I something tells me we're not gonna. They just stuck Archer in the room that leads to the Kirshara. <laughs> he was just in the room. It's really bad. Everything it's that happens that door. in this whole episode happens coincidentally within seconds. I give best actor to. I mean, there were no good candidates. I said Soval, maybe. Yeah. Worst actor to less. I didn't like her in the last episode that she was in. I don't like her in this one. Mm, ben only had directed by Roxanne Dawson and cute Admiral Forrest is succeeded by Admiral Gardner. Yep, so. you definitely garden a forest. <laughs> they probably intentionally meant that. <laughs> All right. Yes. I'm sorry, Ben. It is cute. You're not <laughs> wrong. Hey, maybe it's cute because G comes after F, huh? Oh. Alright, we have what? One, we got one of these fuckers left? Yeah, that's right. Last week's winner was Deep Space Nine. This week we watched Crossfire. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. I'm sorry, Ben. I didn't mean that. The Enterprise just got me down. <laughs> me too. <clears throat> Maybe it should have been like Admiral Lumberjack or something. That would have been great. There you go. Uh, Odo gets ready for his boring-ass meeting with Kira. She comes in and they talk about recent criminal activity on the station for a bit before Quark comes in and complains that Odo's quarters are above his and all the shapeshifting he's doing up there is too noisy. First Minister Shakar. Yep. Were you going to say something? Nope. Okay. First Minister Shakar is coming to the station. You remember him. It's Duncan Regeer. And Me too. the senior staff goes down to meet him, plus O'Brien. Um. <laughs> Lots of people have come to see him, so I guess he's pretty popular, which makes him uncomfortable, because he's kind of like a Lee Nollis type, you know? It's kind of like they wish they hadn't gotten rid of Lee Nollis. <laughs> they wish they hadn't killed him for no fucking reason in the end of that arc. <laughs> yeah, he's a soldier. He's not comfortable with all his attention. Um, so Odo, um, Odo buzzes in as he goes to, uh, as the guy goes to make his speech. Uh, that he's got a tip about somebody wanting to assassinate Duncan Regeer. I mean, Shakar. Credits. Uh, Odo says, it's the true way again. You remember those extremists <laughs> that he talked about for one sentence a few episodes ago, or I guess Eddington talked about it. Uh, Odo wants to cancel Shakar's schedule on DS9, but um, his political manager and Kira both say Shakar would never back down. He's... Um, He's too fucking cool. So Odo is going to have a tough job this week. After a bitch sesh between Odo and Worf, Shakar makes an unscheduled visit to the temple, and then um, there's some kind of banquet. At the banquet, Shakar and Kira get kind of close, and they head off to go uh, on a walk together. Quark can hear the incidental music, I think, because he <laughs> immediately picks up that Odo is crazy jealous. <laughs> Odo watches them from a distance, like a... It's those big ears. <laughs> you can just hear it coming out of the fucking walls. 
<laughs> kind of the way we could during the Royale. Um, Odo watches him from a distance like a tongue-tied freak. The next day, Odo escorts Shakar from his negotiations with the Federation, and back in uh, his quarters, Shakar starts grilling Odo for details about Kira. He tells Odo he's uh, into her in a big way, but he's worried that maybe she's still hung up on Vedic Burial. And also, they were, like, soldiers together, and they never, like, they never fucked out in the wild, so, like, I don't know, should they fuck here? Odo gets weird real... to start fucking now, basically. Yeah. Odo gets real droopy and sad and leaves... Um, he goes to observe Quark getting ready for a, another different banquet, and he finds a very obvious listening device that Quark <laughs> put there on, like, a piece of fruit or something. He just rested it up against an apple. <laughs> Quark gets mad when his criminal device is destroyed and says to Odo, don't get mad at me because you can't get any, or whatever. And Odo gets grumpy and leaves again. That's his main move. It's just being grumpy and walking out of the room. Uh, Odo's cool meeting with Kira is ruined because um, she already had a Roctogino in Shakar's quarters and um, she doesn't have time to even do the meeting now because she's hanging out with Shakar today and then Kira goes and shows Shakar the wormhole and they almost do a, a make out right in front of Odo probably because they don't see him as a person would be my guess <laughs> there is a lot of talk in this episode about how yeah, you wouldn't care about any of this shit. Yeah, you're an alien. You don't care, you don't care about solids. <laughs> you're not even like an alien, like a Klingon or something. You're like a real weird one. We wouldn't even think you care about us. When they get on the lift, uh, Worf calls and says that it needs to be rerouted. And Odo releases control of it, and soon after it starts falling uncontrollably toward the bottom of the shaft, which, I don't know, I guess they're going from the top of the station to the bottom. I don't know. It's real fucking Star Trek Five, where it's like, how many <laughs> decks are decks, there? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, deck seventy-two. That doesn't Hold seem on. right. That seems like too many. Um, Odo can't regain control, so he uses his gross powers to stretch his arms out and push the walls of the the fucking turbo lift out until friction stops him or something. I don't know. Turns out it wasn't Worf who called, so the bad guy's the true way, and Odo should have verified before turning over control. Um, Cisco chews him out. Odo and Worf are doing a security meeting, and Odo seems really distracted, and Worf doesn't handle that well, but, uh, then Odo gets pissy and says he's gonna go talk to Kira again. You know, for the investigation. Mm-hmm. He finds, uh, Shakar in Kira's quarters, and, like, a real creeper, he relieves the security guard there, so he can be the stalker outside, waiting for her to stop Just fucking. wait, just stand there all night. Just, Luckily, just... he didn't have to turn into a liquid... <laughs> the only reason he doesn't turn into something and go inside there to watch them fuck is because there's other security guys around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next morning, that means sex happened. Shakar comes out and Kira invites Odo into chat and she's like in her robe. Um, she definitely confirms she's fucking Idan. Yeah. Which is not cool. Uh, she opens up to Odo about uh, how good he is. Oh, at by, by the way. Is he a uh, Jem'Hadar? Because it turns out that his name is Shakaradon. <laughs> I hope they just recycled it. Like that was the name of one of the Jem'Hadar in a different script and never made it into the yeah. episode. Anyway, she opens up to Odo about like how good Shakar is at fucking and how he's like a Canadian box lightener and all of this shit. 
and then tells Odo that he's her good, good friend for, for listening to her talk about it. And he barely holds it together and goes back to his office where Worf has already caught the bad guy. <laughs> and is super condescending about yeah, it. Yeah, Worf is only a little smug about it. And Odo goes to his quarters and destroys everything because, and this is important, all men, even goopy alien men, are emotional weirdos. <laughs> He breaks stuff that she gave him in earlier episodes. It's like they did work on that. Yeah, he um he does remember when Londo smashes everything in that room when he, I can't I'm not going to do it. I'm not talking about Babylon 5 again. <laughs> Buddy, you've talked about Babylon 5 three times already. Why not? <laughs> Quark is mad about all the noise and he goes and breaks into Odo's quarters and finds him sitting in debris like moping. Uh Quark gives him a pep talk all hidden behind the guise of uh, you're, you're losing me money because people are uh, betting on who's going to catch the bad guys. But basically, you say you got to buck up and keep going, dude. Uh, Odo takes his advice and goes to cancel his regular meetings with Kira. She seems confused because she is a fictional character. <laughs> but Odo says he needs to use his time more efficiently. She's a fictional racist who doesn't believe that he can have emotions <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, no one ever said that about Odo. Um, he tells her he's not wearing any stupid belts anymore either, so don't ask. And in the bar, Quark says he went up to complain about noise again and found a work crew installing soundproofing in the floor. Obviously, this is supposed to be Odo's thank you, but just like Quark couldn't earlier, he can't admit he's doing it for Quark. But we get it, they're good friends. Anyway, Odo takes one last look at Kira and Shakar and heads off to get back to work. What's this one about? Um, what I have is keep your energy focused on the things in life that are within your control. Okay. It comes up in the early banter between Odo and Worf in possibly Worf's first good scene on Deep Space Nine. When they're talking about how dumb and weird this station is and yep. it's hard to do anything in a good way. And Odo's like, listen, here's what I do. I fucking clean my room. That's my, that's how I get away from all of this. Also, don't let anyone come visit you. <laughs> yeah. No guess. Also, I read it, I saw a thing on Reddit that said, put on a jacket before you answer the door. And then if it's <laughs> someone you want to see, you could just take the jacket off and say, oh, I just got home. And if it's someone you don't want to see, you could say, oh, I'm, I'm just about to I'm go I'm heading out. out. <laughs> yeah, I'm heading out. Anyway, that seemed like good. That was a good life pro tip. Did morph his way into it. Yeah, um, so unless we're going with my initial cynical take of work is more important than your personal life, so just stuff all that down inside you, I think that's what we're left with in Odo's story. Okay. I don't hate it. It's not It's not particularly insightful, but it's fine. I, I give it a four. Okay. Uh, ben was a five with you must sacrifice for the happiness of those you care about. I guess he's thinking that Odo, that's what Odo's doing. But I, I don't know what he's sacrificing. Like, what's he's, what's the alternative? Well, to he go doesn't, and, she doesn't get to make coffee for her every Tuesday now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what's the alternative? Does he go in there and tell her she's not permitted to date Chicago anymore? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's a real sacrifice that he made. Um, uh, I said, sometimes you get your heart crapped on, but rather than let it consume you and ruin your shit, you have to dust yourself off and get back to work, I guess. Thanks for the advice. I gave it a four. 
And that was the take I could come up with. If it wasn't that, maybe it was something about him and Quark. Mm, they have a couple of scenes. What? Yeah. Like, about the familiarity between foes breeding something else. But it was clearly about Odo's unrequited love. Um, and just moving into execution. Um, the episode is fairly sensitive and kind of exacting in showing Odo and Kira's friendship. Like all the stuff he does to prep for the meetings. And like you said, all the work they did with him smashing all the stuff that she gave him in his quarters. And the stuff about the belt and all of that. Um, it is, of course, rife with fucking tropes because that's what happens when you have 40 minutes to tell this story <laughs> but um yep. showing Odo finally succumbing to his powerful emotions I think probably improves the character who otherwise just says justice over and over again in each episode <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of other traits like remember I think and in the last couple of weeks he was real real swingy yes about personal liberties and things yes I think you remember we gave some points to the one in the cave with the yeah. the fake Kira. And I think, even though I'm not into my Star Trek love stories, I think there's just not anything else for them to have Odo do, so... <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, and then it shows him messing up on the job, and despite the hack scene where he destroys his quarters, it kind of gives the small episode enough juice to feel like something was happening and it wasn't total filler garbage. For the first time on DS9, like you said, Worf wasn't a total idiot baby. Uh, that's always nice. He had a cool scene with Odo where they commiserated about how hard it is to have order and keep people at a distance and everything. Uh, and then we get the reverse of that time that Worf was terrible at his job and Odo was on the ball. This time, oh, yeah. Odo was all messed up and it was Worf who crushed it, so that was kind of a nice turnaround. Uh, some cool jokes in the beginning about domestic abuse, which weren't nice. Fucking DS9. Uh, yeah. About the guy getting beat up by his wife. Because back mean, in the 90s, if you made a joke about a guy getting beat up by a lady, that was, it, like, the good stuff. That is for sure. That is for sure what's happening there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but overall, I thought it was pretty well handled. I gave it a seven. Uh, do you know I don't disagree? Uh, I also gave it a seven. Wow. It's... It's reasonably well done, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a quiet character story. I think the pacing could use some tweaks because the wrap-up felt real fast. Yes. But they took the show's most serious and pathetic character and told a serious and pathetic story with him. <laughs> yep. There's not a lot of unnecessary comic relief. And they keep Cisco, Dax, Bashir, and O'Brien basically out of the show with no B-plot. Good. So, in that respect, it corrects some of the things DS9 leans on too much. They do way too much comic relief and... Way too many totally un unconnected hanging B-plots. B-plot yeah. could, could be the name of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yeah. If the show was a little more honest with itself. Yeah. Uh, and did you say that Ben was a five? He is a five, yeah. Um, nice intro on that br uh, the briefing between Odo and Kira... Uh, good conversation with the First Minister on their parallel crushes on Kira, and Odo is a tortured soul, and because he's a fleshed-out character, we care, but what a downer and not much else, I think, is why he couldn't <laughs> give it more than a five. Yeah, right. It's fair. <laughs> uh, what about world building? Uh, DS9 has an arbiter. That seems to be the judge on the station. Okay. Now, I have heard him say magistrate before, so I don't know. 
Yeah, maybe the usually says keep switching it up. Maybe there's yeah. two. Maybe they got two things. Yeah, maybe there's one for felonies and one for misdemeanor. Who knows? Mm. Uh, spring ball, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. If you see the wormhole opening, you get to make a wish. Okay. There's a Bolian restaurant. But obviously, the major world building thing is Bejor is trying to get acceler- an accelerated timeline for Federation membership. I guess I should have said that somewhere in the description. That's why he's well, on that's the station. The, that's the nominal reason we never see one meeting with no. the Federation. He we only see the aftermath yeah. of the, any of some of them. Yeah. So that's what he's there negotiating for. We don't really. They don't get into it deep, which is why I'm only giving it a four. Like, it's more than the usual three, but it's... I would love to know more yep. about the Bajoran politics, so... You know, take what you can get. Yep, Ben gave it a two. Um, finally, someone acknowledges that Ferengi giant ears should give them crazy acute hearing. Yeah, at one point in this episode, I don't know if Kira says she's surprised he could hear the noise from the other quarters, and he just points at his ears and says, Hello! Which wasn't the worst. Um, I split the difference. I gave it a three. Some guy named Ojai, it was spelled Ogai, uh, is always doing political protests on DS9. He's like the political nut job around there. This time he was protesting Shakar. I'm sure we've talked about Kira's blue-gray dress uniform previously. but it, Yeah, we did talk about it before, but I still like it. Yep, yeah, it's pretty decent. O'Brien says he's not one of the senior officers, and, like, I get that he's not an officer, but he's also the head of operations and obviously part of the senior staff on this station. So it really sounds like he's trying to get away from this diplomatic duty on a technicality. He's also the station's fucking welcome committee. He's also the guy you send to do first contact with aliens. But he can't be here for this. We had talked about that in the previous episode or something, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden he's like, well, I don't know why I'm here, and I'm like, I know why you're there. Right, but doesn't it sound like he's trying to get out of it on a technicality? Like, I'm mm-hmm. not even an officer. I shouldn't be here, everybody. Oh, come on, man. You, I'm a T-18. You can't send me down here. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Eddington is on leave, and Worf takes over while he's away, because Worf only knows one job. You know, early on in, Enter- in TNG, he was, like, doing some cross-training, but... These days, he seems he to be really like, kept up with it. Yeah, he seems to be like I can only do security stuff and everything else. I'm terrible at. Well, he spent a lot of time embroiled in Klingon politics, his own personal religion. He didn't really keep up some of those career goals that he had. No. Um, another good look at Hasparat. That's like a Bajoran burrito or wrap. It really just was a fucking wrap. They just got a bunch of wraps in, which of course they did. That's exactly what you have at one of those conferences. Yep. Uh, they have abandoned cargo holds on DS9 where criminals hide out. That seems like something to work on. Yeah. Maybe you guys clean them up. See that. See that. That's taken the care station of. is enormous, and like I think they finally said there's more than five thousand people on the station or something mm. in this episode. But like, I don't know, man. St- Clear up some of that Cardassian junk by now. Yeah, I can't You've believe been they there four years. They like put in all these cool weapon systems and everything, but like, like you said, there's still like nine cargo bays just full of junk. <laughs> like, come on. Um, the negotiations in this episode again focus on the lengthy timetable for admittance to the Federation. He just keeps complaining that he has to wait so long. 
He wants to be in the Federation right now, damn it. He should just go in there like uh, American Sheridan and demand <laughs> it. And through force of will, make it happen. Which he may do in the end of that episode. I think he says he cuts down the timetable. Um, yeah, it's a three for me. What about characterization? Mm, I gave it a six. Oh, all right. Let's hear it. Odo prepares meticulously for his meetings with Kira because of his powerful emotions for her. He's a real sap who's always given away his power in relationships. He's like, I don't like belts. And Kira goes, oh, I think they look nice. And then he walks around for two months constantly asking people if they like his cool belt. <laughs> and then he gets mad jealous when Kira and Shakar, who are old friends, go for a walk. Yep. I guess he also hears the incidental music and senses there's more to it. <laughs> I think that's what it is, yeah. <laughs> um, Odo's distracted and almost blows the whole deal. Well, you know what he was like is... Hey, Shakar is the this big resistance leader, and he was just cold murdering people and shit for years with Kira out in the desert, and now he's, like, real gentle? Mm-hmm. Now he just showed up and he's gentle all of a sudden? Yeah, he's got that real quiet fucking Duncan Regeer voice. She's gonna be into that. Mm. That's gonna be rough. <laughs> oh, look, I, I'm not gonna say that if Duncan Regeer... She saw he cleaned up real good. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not gonna say that if, if Duncan Regeer came to my apartment... And was an old friend of Marjan's. Oh, you'd just be like, ah, she's back there. Yeah. And he said, oh, I'm an old friend of Marjan's. Is Marjan on? I'd be like, fucking fuck. fuck. No, I don't. She don't live here. She don't live here. So take a walk. Duncan Regeer. <laughs> um, uh, she's too tired from sex. She can't talk to you. Go away. Yeah. The dick the too good. Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> um... Anyway, again, he does the TV, the dumb TV thing of destroying his quarters in a fit of rage after Worf catches the bad guy and makes him look bad. Um, Kira not only doesn't know Odo has a thing for her, but she also doesn't thank him for getting her coffee and getting all her shit (laughs) ready. And she just puts her feet up on his desk like a jerk. Hey, do you think this was written by a man or a woman? And (laughs) do you think that they were the inventor of the term friend zone? (laughs) Because there is a, there's a very... It's yes. an, luckily, none of the characters express the idea, yes. but there is for sure an undercurrent of it, huh? Uh-huh. Oh, but she has a great deal of affection for Odo. Maybe because he never got that mad about those cold murders she did in the Terok Nor days. <laughs> and um, despite never having romantic feelings for Shakar when they spent all their time together in the Resistance... She falls for him in this new life where she's a space station administrator and he's a high-powered public official, which is definitely one of my favorite sexy role-playing scenarios. Yeah, 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 for sure. There's yeah. a, there's like 50 or 60 of those on... It's a whole category on literotica.com. <laughs> uh, Quark's quarters are beneath Odo's and it's not a coincidence. Uh, he's bothered by all of Odo's shape-shifting noise but he's very perceptive about Odo's feelings about Kira. If, I wonder if we're supposed to believe he just knows people, which would be dumb because he's shown he has no romantic instincts, or that he's tuned into Odo specifically, which would be smart from a narrative standpoint because they're like a pair on this station. Uh, he goes up to yell at Odo, but he's actually nice to him because they really like each other. At least this feels more earned than the previous 25 times. 
Like, if this was the first time, if they'd avoided that, if they just had a little bit of patience and waited till now to do it, you would have been like, oh, shit. Like, they were always on opposite sides, but he can't help but feel for this guy he knows really well who's, like, suffering, obviously. Uh-huh. That would be something. But they kind of did get there too fast, huh? They got there in season one. Because it was like... in the writer's Bible <laughs> yes. for the show, exactly. and they got there too quick. They fucking spent that one up right away. Uh, Shakar is handsome as shit, and he doesn't like public adulation or being a politician. He's a soldier, damn it. And he's into Kira big time. Worf is still a whiner who hates that he's not on Enterprise. He and Odo agree that there should only be order and discipline, and if somebody comes to your quarters, you should threaten them with physical harm so they never come back. And he catches the bad guy, and again, is only a little bit self-congratulatory. Cisco's kind of an ass. Like, I get the stakes are high, but Odo makes his very first ever security mistake, and Cisco just goes, You're not human, so you aren't allowed to fuck up. It is true he does literally say that. Again, the racism in this show is unexamined. Mm-hmm. I think he says, you get that slimy? And then he walks out. <laughs> That's what we've been calling you behind your back. Part of me wondered if it was just management bullshit. Like, like he just got out of management training and heard that different people respond to different stimuli. And he was just trying something out with Odo. I don't know. Because <laughs> he comes down like a real piece of shit in that one. There's no management training in the Federation. <laughs> no, God, if only. No, it would just be led by Morgan Pressman. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be any good. Um, Morgan Bateson. What's the name? Eric Pressman. Eric Pressman. <laughs> I, I, I made them the same guy. They're very different. One of them is Kelsey Grammer. One of them is Kelsey Grammer going, well, obviously I do. It's 2286, or whatever he says. Yeah. He comes <laughs> off as a real smug asshole with this one line. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a very That's strange the only cameo. good thing about that fucking episode. Oh, God, for sure. Uh, yeah, so um, there was enough good in there to make it a six, but it wasn't It wasn't the best. Boy, Ben's even higher. He's a seven. Um, I had a lot of clothing comments this week. Cork's pajamas are frumpy footy pajamas, but they don't look comfortable. <laughs> yep. Uh, he says that Kira's dress uniform is attractive, but not sexual or frumpy. He used mm. frumpy twice. Uh, I like uh, that Odo, Odo and Worf have a moment. Odo isn't over Kira, etc. I like that he says, actually, with all due respect, Worf, Odo sitting staring at a wall face has been established as his thinking face. That's true. That is in true. a previous scene with Worf, when Worf was trying to get him to do something about that guy, that's all Odo was doing, was staring. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I get it, thanks. Uh, I'm the low end of this triple. I'm giving it a five. Okay. Uh, Kira comes off a little dim in this one. Mm. She has all the pieces she needs to figure out Odo's whole deal, but she just can't see it. Yeah. Oh, that's probably the racism, right? It probably is the racism, yeah, which isn't a great look. Mm. It doesn't have the raw energy of Odo figuring out Kira's a changeling because he knows she doesn't love him. Yeah. Yeah, that one was dark. (laughs) That one was dark. When he just collapses. Oh, you love I me. Was, oh. So I see what's happening here. Yeah. Um, but aside from his emo hair, he's mostly where I want him to be. And this is a good Quark show. The series tried so hard to set up the Quark autodynamic that it's surprising how little they use it. But everyone else got the day off, so I only gave it a five. Okay. Uh, quick ones. 
Uh, ordering a drink extra hot seems like a dumb personality trait. <laughs> extra hot. He orders the, her rack to Gino extra hot. Now, is that just because he orders it five minutes early or... God, maybe. Because... Or does she just like it extra hot? She I, likes to I don't burn. even like the taste. I just like to burn my mouth she every day. She likes to burn her mouth first thing in the morning every morning, so she can't really taste anything the rest I of the day. I can't taste anything the rest of the day. That's her yeah, dieting that. secret. <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> crave anything. she keeps that dancer's body. <laughs> uh, hey, when did Dax get promoted? She's a lieutenant commander now. Oh, shit. I don't even... Did they say that? I don't even... I. No, she was just wearing Lieutenant Commander's pips. Maybe she introduced herself as Lieutenant Commander Dax. I don't know, but... Uh, is it one of the... Like, it wasn't in Memory Alpha, but I just I just noticed this week she's a f- Lieutenant Commander now. Is it, you suppose it's one of the 75 pips mistakes? Oh, also could easily be a pips mistake. I feel like they make one of those almost every week. Have Dax and Kira ever had a conversation that passes the Bechdel test? I don't know. What about... What about that time they had to fly that Bajoran, that old crashed Bajoran fighter together? I'm trying to think if any, if it was about any. Did she still talk about how she wants to suck Morn's dick? Oh man, I don't know. No, maybe not. Maybe that was just about her fear of spiders, which would qualify. That would count. That would count. Maybe about men. I don't know, but I'm not going to go back and watch it, so we'll never know. My people have an innate need for order. Or it's a response to my lab rat upbringing that I haven't processed in therapy. Either way, I need it. Yes, that's what he should say. That's what I should have said. What I meant to say. That I need it. Vedic Tonsa is the best spring ball player on the station. Does Deep Space Nine get its own whole Vedic? Uh, that's a good question. He's the best spring ball player on the station. So he's there a lot, huh? So I'm guessing Vedic Brile didn't take that post because he was a real political fucker and was still trying to rule Bejor or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Katie asked uh, if men really have conversations like this one between Shakar and Odo. Mm. About how about. best to get a lady? Correct. And I don't know if they do or don't. I, I haven't. But I'm not friends with Duncan Regeer, so who knows? <laughs> He's real sensitive. He might want to talk to you about it. He's Canadian. He's very gentle. It could come up. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's a lie that Quark is telling about the surveillance device, but I do kind of believe Rom has sleep apnea. <laughs> it seems like good character building for him. It's like yeah. in line. I was surprised to find that Avery Brooks was in this episode when he showed up in that one scene. Yeah. You mentioned that Kira is wearing her robe. Uh huh. But she's not. What's she wearing? Her post sex outfit includes coordinated leggings and boots. Oh, I didn't really. In notice. the same color. So she got entirely dressed in that outfit before she walked him to the door. And then I guess she's just going to go put on a whole new outfit to go to work. That is her celebratory outfit, I guess. She wears that after she has done the deed. It's, again, like Ron Swanson, who yeah. wears red. Oh. And also, Quirk is lying, and there's definitely no manhunt pool. No, of course not. That was for sure made up. That's fine, because Odo knew it, too. They were I gave, dancing around it. Yeah, I gave best actor to Quirk. I gave worst actor to Shakar's assistant, who <laughs> was wearing an outfit that looked a little bit like overall, so I just referred to him as Farmer Fran. <laughs> it did look like some fucking hayseed. 
It was kind of a hayseed. He had a bowl cut and he overall. Honestly, and, uh, I thought they were going to address it. I thought he was going to say that he's a farmer. I thought he was going to be a character in the show or something so, for sure, but yeah. A farmer in whatever province or whatever, and that this isn't his, like, he just, he, what's his name? Shakar trusts him and brought him in. But no, they didn't talk about it. He's some kind of yeah. high-powered political consultant. I don't know. I don't think we'll ever see that guy again, but Farmer Fran yeah. is what I called him, and I also gave him Worst Actor. <laughs> um, no quick hitters from Ben. Wait, are those there? Yeah, no. Um, Terry Farrell delivers the line, he's so good looking, about Shakar <laughs> the exact same way they do in Seinfeld when somebody sneezes. <laughs> When he replaces Bless You with, you're so good looking. <laughs> Did she think it was a Seinfeld reference when she saw it on the page and that's why she read it that way? I don't know. I don't know what the timing is. At this point in my life, I don't know when <laughs> yeah, Seinfeld right? aired. It ran for 15 seasons or something. <laughs> yeah. There could be a Deep Space Nine reference in Seinfeld. Yeah, it could be. Um, That's it. I think we, I think we did it. I think we did the deed. And I'm going to put All on right. my outfit to celebrate. Oh, well, then it's time to do some tallying. Yeah. Landrew. Oh, Landrew's really struggling. <laughs> well, he's, there's a lot of data in him. Oh. He stopped working for me, too. Wait, there he is. He's, he's working again. He just had a Moltar moment. Wait, where'd I go? Oh, all right. Oh, there I am. All right. So, in last place with 27 points. This is a rarity. TNG, the loss. Yeah, I described them this week. They were the loss. Um, now, you had it five points higher than me, so yeah, that's, that would that would be enough to have flipped the loss over to someone else, but... Yeah, this was your last place. My last place yeah. was the Enterprise episode. Yeah, we had different feelings about those. Uh, Enterprise does land in uh, third place this week with 29 points. Mm -hmm. Not a great outing. No. Uh, and in second place, amazingly, in second place with 32 points, Voyager Prey. We both had that as above average somehow. And it's a clean sweep for Deep Space Nine. We both gave it 20 points. It wins the week. That is Deep Space Nine's. From execution, I was just going to say. Yep. Deep Space Nine's 25th win. Getting close. So now they're kind of threatening again. They've won two weeks in a row. They're back within eight of TNG. And next week's Data's Day, so like... I like I can't say up front what the scores are going to be, but it's not their best episode. It doesn't feel it doesn't feel like TNG's in a firm on firm footing yep. there. And I don't feel good about this Enterprise arc. So Kirshara, mm, I don't know, I don't know how it's going to go. So retrospect sounds bad, right? I know I'm giving away it the does. part where you read the episodes for next week, but I'm just looking no, at them and I don't feel. Good that's about fine. That. You're also just not doing it in order. So, but yeah, it. <laughs> Who knows what Deep Space Nine's episode "Return to Grace" is about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's about Golducott. I'll let's. I'll just Ooh, let you know. It's a Golducott oh, episode. Hey, man! Now I really do feel good about their chances. Yeah, but that's what you should watch for Week eighty four: uh, Data's Day, Return to Grace, Retrospect, and Kirshara. Mm. Uh, but next week, yeah. Next week is a Star Wars week. Yep, Episode six: Return of the Jedi. I um, so I don't have much. To we're say. still on the clock. I'm not. I'm not super excited <laughs> to do <laughs> just it. because of the project, or because Return of the Jedi is not your favorite, or I just I really miss 
those off the clock weeks that are so good that feels so good in between star treks it, because what it really does is this won't be so bad but it'll set up the third week in a row the second star trek week where That's i right. will just be like we're starting for both of us with data's day yeah it's gonna be pretty rough <laughs> so you know we'll oh, see. It, it introduces the great love story of miles <laughs> miles edward o'brien miles O'Brien, and keiko no they say her name in that episode and never again i don't remember it um uh, yeah, who immediately did seem like they don't really like each other very much. That's right. Who perhaps shouldn't be married. Mm-hmm. Who They seem like they're trying not to get married in that episode, but they're kind of forced into it, and then they hate each other forever. So Yeah, but don't worry. It's got a lot of awkward Brent Spiner acting, and I think... Dancing. Dr. Crusher teaches him to dance. There's some dancing. Yeah, it's going to be bad. Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, so next week, Star Wars, then more Star Trek. Um, everybody keeps sending us mail. We'll have a mailbag after that Star Trek week in a few weeks. And we'll probably have to do some Billy Joel for that, too. Uh, we're not going off the clock anytime soon, my friend. I know. Um, all right. Uh, so keep sending us mail. That's at BrotherDate on the Twitter machine. Uh, you can find us at BrotherDate.com. You can send us email brothers at BrotherDate.com. Find us on the iTunes podcatchers that catch iTunes pods. And that's it. Any other notes? That's it for me. All right. Bye-bye. See you on the flippity-flop, everybody. Bye. 3,000 years ago, we got to space and we discovered it was Amos and Andy.